Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. Okay. First, let me just say, well, if if you haven't listened to part one, the episode Call Her Daddy Issues, that sets the scene. Don't even bother listening to this because um, we're kind of just going to pick up where we left off, though I'll provide context where I can. Um, I'm If I were you, I'd be like, how the hell can you talk about this for two and a half more hours, for the love of God? Honestly, I don't know. But what happened is last night I kind of had this realization. I had another episode that you'll still get, by the way. I'll still put it out. Um, it's kind of more evergreen, though. I was like, wait, I brought everybody in to two hours of this call her daddy situation before we even heard from uh, Alex. We had just kind of heard from Sophia in that like grainy video that virtually said nothing. And so my entire episode was kind of based on the assumptions of what we already knew from Dave and Erica. But then to have Alex not only tell the whole story on YouTube and fill in the gaps, but then do the first episode now that the decision's been made that it's going to be her. It is 50-50 with Barstool, who just took over Sophia's 50%, which I'll talk about later how there's some disagreement with some people thinking it's 75-25 and others thinking it's 50-50 and why I think it's 50-50. I've really thought through this. All of the unknowns from last week's episode are now known, and it's very weird for me to bring you all into this mess and not see you on your way out. I think that would only be fair. And I pulled you on Instagram and I think last I checked it was 7525. And uh, in terms of 75 wanted part two, 25 wanted um a new episode. And the good news is is 25% you'll still get a new episode that will I already recorded it. So I I have to just look at my schedule and see if it's better for next week or he'll just put it out as a bonus. But it won't go anywhere. And I just thought it made more sense to finish this out. It's two and a half hours because while I do talk about the situation specifically, the back half, I more so, I kind of get into the way she describes Sophia and Peter's relationship, suit man. And I also, because a, a big theme of this podcast is me wanting to lobby for why these stories matter, why pop culture matters, and what why, yeah, I want you to come for the gossip, but stay for the life lessons, not the ones I teach, but the stories can teach us. And I think that these things matter if you let them. And I think that they can really change how you see things and help you advocate for yourself better if you parse them out in a way that you kind of put yourself in that situation and think, what would I do? Or how does this relate to like issues women commonly face in the workplace? And how can we use these people we respect and look up to as a proxy for, you know, maybe something we'll feel more brave to do going forward? I don't know. The entire reason I started this podcast is because I, I felt that a lot of the way, you know, pop culture news was reported really was more about what it is and what happened and not what it means. And the reason I talk for so long, the reason this uh, this podcast is long form by design and not by accident is because I want to talk through what happened. But I also want to explain why it matters and explain why it's not a waste of time to spend our time talking about it. And share what I personally have extracted from it that I think could be beneficial to something I'm passionate about, which is equality, which is women in the workplace, which is closing the wage gap, which is minimizing unfair power dynamics, which is promoting the self-advocacy that we all need sometimes but ignore in favor of not hurting other people's feelings or letting somebody else take credit for our work or whatever it is. I just think... There's a lot of themes here that we experience that are agnostic of whatever industry or situation you're in, friendship, relationship, work, or otherwise. And um, 
what's the point of going into it if we're not going to take something out of it? And I'm grateful you're back for me to see us through this. When I did the poll, it was last night at like 8 p.m. So this episode was recorded like overnight. And to be fair, I probably would have cut it to like two hours. But my priority at this point is getting it out. So it's running, going to run a little longer than usual. But for those of you that are like here for part two, I assume you don't care because you want to talk about it. And, you know, the situation like it's it's like the gift that keeps on giving. And I'm like, even though I'm ready to move on and I'm not like obsessed with it. Like, I think that's what's funny is even on um, I commented on one of Barstool's posts. I had to laugh because, of course, it's a men's network. It's like I I first I was like, why haven't I never fo- followed Barstool? This caller daddy thing is so interesting. But then putting Alex and Sophia's head like elf yourself onto two wrestlers and like, you know, explaining a story through wrestling humor. I'm like, this is exactly why I never was into Barstool. Like, <laughs> this is not this is not my cup of tea. And I commented on it being like, for what it's worth, you know, season two, episode 13 of The Real Houses of New York, a Scary Island would be actually a great depiction of how this all went down. Go to sleep. And somebody commented being like, wow, you've really dedicated your whole life to this, huh? And I was like, oh, I have a life. I don't think about this that often. <laughs> but this is my job. Deep diving is my job, and I'm going to do my due diligence. I have, I don't, I'm not a listener, and I'm certainly not weirdly obsessed with them. But there, you've got to admit, this story, It there, you get invested. You just do. A lot of you reached out and were like, I don't listen either. But now I've got to know, I, we've got to finish. So here we are. And thank you for joining. And like I said last time, for Caller Daddy diehard fans, if any daddy gang members are listening, there, of course, is going to be context and um nuance that i might have or like some backstory i'm missing that would inform the way i perceive the situation and i'm sure i'm missing a lot of things and you know without listening to their entire back catalog and being involved in the drama like as it unfolded i i don't know everything and i certainly am not an expert i just have a background adjacent to this situation i've been in similar situations before and i really enjoy and prioritize talking about pop culture stories that are surround women that are easily misjudged as being something that favors ridiculous female tropes that were judged against when you know once you look past the surface that's actually not the case at all ultimately i'm trying to make a case for these women and obviously only having heard from alex now i really do see her side pretty clearly and i'm incredibly impressed by her we haven't heard at length from sophia later in the episode in real time i see that she changes her profile to be like basic greedy lazy submissive weak-minded unable to think for myself and that's just a little bit about me shooting star and um which you know obviously is sarcastic and obviously is a nod to all the things being said about her right now, and I'm assuming that it's leading into something where she's going to release a statement or I hope something in great detail because I'm dying to hear a side of the story about why she did what she did. And I'm sure she is plotting to represent a very different side of Alex and Barstool. So largely, you'll hear me be very I'm as of now, I'm very much in support of Alex. I knew nothing about her before, you know, even when I recorded the episode, I knew nothing about her other than what I heard her say on call her daddy episodes now seeing the youtube video listening to the episode i perceive it so so differently getting to know her as a human and not a character and i have a tremendous amount of respect for what she did and i'll explain why 
Having not heard from Sophia, obviously this can't be fully fair to her because I've only heard one side of the story. And even, I mean, even the episode title, which is a total joke, by the way, Suit Man's Afraid to Leave His Suit. It's obviously a nod to Nickelodeon's Hey Arnold of Move It Football Head fame. Um, and the episode where there's this guy, that, like unnamed dude called Stoop Kid that was afraid to leave his stoop and they're in the, oh my God, Tugboat. He's snoring so loud. Thank you for the notes, Tugboat. I will take them. He's so bored. <laughs> but no, it's a nod to Stoop Kid. Um, there was in like the papers and the kids would chant and like taunt this this kid stoop kids afraid to leave is stoop and the first thing i thought of when i heard suit man was stoop kid and i just just like literally this most stupid joke um and like here's the thing too it's like the picture being painted of peter nelson is awful and it's like I don't know anything about him. If you're related to him, whatever, please don't come at me. It's kind of like when I did the Mormon Mommy Blogger series and all the Mormons came after me. And I'm like, don't come after me. Come after Book of Mormon. It's like, don't come after me. Compare the, Come after the people making memes about Lord Farquaad and, and you know, do, making songs about Carol Baskin to be about Peter Nelson on TikTok. <laughs> I'm just making a stoop kid joke. Uh, but no, I, I don't know anything about him. And obviously, everything I'm saying on this podcast is based off of people's opinions and can't in, in, intrinsically cannot be 100% accurate as much as I'd love for it to be. So when Sophia talks, not that I'll do a whole other episode or anything, but like I, I, I am always willing to change my mind. I'm always willing to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. I prefer to have all sides to a story before I can really comment, but I don't have much else. And Alex gave us so much. Uh, the one area of concern I have, I will say, and I bring this up later. I'm doing the intro after I recorded the episode. It's now Thursday. I recorded this Wednesday night into the night and part of the morning. Um, well, first, the required reading for this podcast. I'm going to talk about mostly three things. Alex's YouTube video she put out on Friday. Look up Alex Cooper on YouTube. It's her most recent video. It has over two million views. It's called The Truth About Call Her Daddy. A video um, on Barstool Sports YouTube called Alex Cooper officially back on Team Barstool from May 26th. It's like a sports center like show I've never seen before. He's talking to KFC and some other dude yeah, that has like a, a radio shock truck name like Big Do Big Dog. I want to say it's something with like whatever. Um, it's like peace frogs. Uh, they where he kind of clarifies stuff about Scooter Braun and the deal itself. Um, and third, the episode called The Funeral, where Alex's first show as a solo host of Call Her Daddy that was released on Wednesday on their main podcast feed. The one thing that I'm not sure about that concerns me is that in passing, Alex mentioned something on her episode called The Funeral, the first episode of the podcast, about the Kesha thing and kind of blows over it in a non-fan of the show, or like a non-listener, not that I'm not, a, you know what I mean? She kind of just said that there was like a mention of Kesha in one of the episodes, or like episode descriptions, and basically said like it was a bad decision, they weren't in a good headspace, they were, thought they were going to leave, and they like to represent their frustration about like feeling trapped, they lost perspective, and used like Kesha as an example of somebody who was like, you know, obviously Kesha was stuck in a contract but the difference is she wasn't stuck in a contract that she was felt you know being underpaid by necessarily she was stuck in a contract with a man she was sexually assaulted by very different situations and my concern is that there's something missing here involving 
a much bigger story involving sexual assault, involving something with Barstool that I don't know, that I'm not factoring in here, that would completely change how I perceive Sophia's overwhelming desire to leave. And obviously, you know, I would support a victim in any instance to get the hell out of any toxic situation that is 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 harmful to them, is traumatic for them, is, you know, unjustifiable under any terms. Um, so this is where I'm getting a little like I, I didn't know that. And that was when I was going back and being like, did I really cover everything in the episode? I the Kesha thing I didn't really get. And then I looked you know, God bless Reddit, because that's where their like fans are and they explain things and they're so thorough. And I think it's awesome um, that basically when they refer to the trail that Alex and Sophia started several months ago, hinting that something was going wrong, they were basically saying like something's about to happen, like follow them uh, for updates. They stopped doing the show. But beforehand, they were naming their episodes like Harry Potter references I think specifically it was Prisoners of Azkaban, which I haven't read that, but apparently that's a nod to being held hostage. Then, like, uh, different clues and references. I don't know, maybe they're trying to do a Taylor Swift Easter egg situation. But the episode description on the last episode they put out before they stopped coming to work was Kesha dot 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 the end. You know, take from that what you will, but obviously Kesha is, you know, was famously in this awful deal that it that a judge ruled in dr luke's favor and she's still stuck with the label taylor swift paid her legal fees and like even a lot of powerful voices have gotten involved but somehow she's still trapped anyways it's an awful situation all around and when you put that in an episode description obviously people are going to assume that the connection there isn't necessarily being stuck in a contract it's being stuck with somebody who's abusive and all alex said was like we're in a bad headspace that was a bad decision she apologized that she was so sorry moved on i i but i haven't moved on from that i'm still like what that just doesn't seem right and i'm worried that we're all rallying behind a situation that we don't have the full story of and that's all i'll say about that i just want to clarify like there could be a lot more to this but for now i i really wholeheartedly support what alex did and uh let's get into it so where we left off last time was basically me waxing poetic about intellectual property and being like how the hell on what planet would you not take the deal barstool offered you on the rooftop which we now know about the rooftop i didn't even know about the rooftop last week i mean dave portnoy's rooftop and addison ray's ceiling fans are truly the heroes that we did not know we needed during this quarantine all i knew was they were offered to get out of the contract six months early they were offered a raise and they were offered to own the IP in full and said no. And I d- could not understand. And David mentioned something about Alex maybe coming back in the mix, but we didn't really know the terms of it. And even my opinions evolved from the YouTube video to the episode where it, it, it became more clear to me that Sophia, at first it made her sound greedy and nitpicky. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, she was full on sabotaging this deal. Like, this is a totally different ballgame because I was obsessing over like I was kind of talking to you guys about the art of negotiation and like how stupid it is to take it that far and to nitpick that hard and how you have to factor in the other people's benefit. Uh, And I didn't I was like, how is she aligned with all these super professional, experienced people and doing that? But it makes more sense in the context of what Dave said, which was he's you know, everything she's been doing lately is to sabotage him or feels in pursuit of a lawsuit. But anyway, 
rewind to last Friday. I'm making a hella fresh meal, not a sponsor, just a fact. Feeling burdened by the excess chopping I was doing to make some sort of chutney or jam that really is adding nothing to my burger. Um, and I, my phone blows up. Alex has dropped a video. Not only that, she's wearing a lilac sweatsuit that is fierce as hell that's from Urban Outfitters that is sold out, and I'm really upset about it. But this video, it was right, it was tight, it was on point, it was like single cut, and until the very end when I could tell she got a little bit um, unsure of like what to say or how to end, I saw like editing then. But she spoke through so clearly um, every single step of the way, I assume to the degree that she could, and... Honestly, like, I was so impressed by her. She was so level-headed, articulate, smart, and she did all the things that I argued on the last podcast I wish they had done. And now I kind of am like, well, I feel badly because I spent half the time just trying, you know, I'm very, I feel very passionately about intellectual property and I feel really passionately about, um, you know, focusing on equity and value over price, over cash flow, over salary. That to me was more about, the principle of these decisions being made and not the people. Alex has added a lot of color commentary to the, the people, the characters involved and more behind the scenes about Sophia, uh, Peter Nelson and the like, and the team Sophia was working with. And like, I always say, I don't think every, I think it's so much easier to assume everything's this diabolical plan and these, all these people are evil. And I know there's so many stories of these awful negotiations and the media industry taking advantage of people. And I have no doubt that those can happen and have happened, but it's important to remember too, like there are two sides to a story and like not everybody is evil and just, you know, trying to take a cut, but it certainly does appear that way. And it's hard to not like get really fired up about it, you know? But like, I, I have a manager, I have an agent, like I, I'm not a person that it is thinks that this system is like evil, and you shouldn't be a part of it, you shouldn't have people working or on your behalf or advocating on your behalf. That's honestly, the only way to scale is to work with people. But you do have to work with the right people. And you do have to make sure you have a voice that's being heard when people are representing you negotiating for you, whatever. And I guess what I just don't know is if Sophia was totally steamrolled or if this is what she wants for some reason, or there's something deeper there. And in this episode, I'm kind of speaking from a place of like assuming she's being steamrolled, because that's certainly what it sounds like. Um, but I don't know. What do I know? I, I'm making so many assumptions here. So full disclosure, I don't know anything more than you do. Um, so what I'll read through is my notes from the three videos I talked about. And then I kind of will go back uh, to Reddit or like my Facebook group or like I just am trying to fin fill in context clues because I'm not a caller daddy listener. Uh, so it's kind of a combination of sources I've been working off of. But she starts the video by explaining the background. Some stuff we knew, some stuff we didn't. Like two years ago, she was like kind of trying to get started on YouTube. She was like on unemployment. When her and Sophia did a podcast, um, they started Call Her Daddy themselves after four episodes. That's when Barstool reached out. Well, Dave Portnoy, specifically the president of Barstool, their deal was three years with incremental raises throughout. Dave only brought up in the episode that the $70,000 and then the $2,500 per 10% of incremental audience growth, I believe, that ultimately ended up to ended out up at $500,000 because nobody knew how much they would grow. Um, but that the context I did not know is that you know, small things like the first year was 70, the second year was 80, the third year was 100. And like the the payment structure did change over the three years. And the one that ultimately got leaked to the post was an older version, I guess. And they um, that the first time she renegotiated, 
was after the incident at the Christmas party where Erica Nardini, the CEO, and Dave, the president, reached out to Alex and gave her a raise because she did more work. And this is where I have to fill in gaps because I am not a member of Daddy Gang. So Alex specifically says that after the Christmas party incident, which obviously I assume is important context for me to have, she um, that Erica, the CEO of Barstool, and Dave Portnoy, the president of Barstool, reached out to her, Alex, to give her a raise because she did more of the work. As discussed in the last episode, she does the editing and it's a a ton of work, but I didn't realize how much work until she explained it on this. It kind of sounds like she scripts the episodes. They talk for three hours. She cuts it down to one hour and only has the most funny, most outrageous, no filler talk, no mindless conversation. Every episode is packed densely with very deliberate, perhaps premeditated, funny moments to make the show keep raising the the bar of that outrageous explicit talk that was so unusual and that they became famous for and they, they kept having to outdo themselves and that's a really interesting piece that i talk i'll talk about a little later but yeah that's a lot of editing work like a lot a lot and uh i i've i don't know people that write their podcasts and i don't know if that was a freudian slip or not but again more on that later um I had to refer to Reddit. I mean, God bless the kind anonymous souls on the Internet who write well thought out information just for the sake of sharing knowledge with other people. But it's crazy that there's essentially like an encyclopedia of caller daddy I could refer to. And for that, I am grateful. God bless any of you on the Reddit thread. I can only hope people would back me as much as they're backing uh, call her daddy, or at least for what I saw. I haven't gone through everything. The Christmas party incident allegedly is like Sophia like got blackout drunk at a Christmas party. Like it was super, super messed up, like, like you know, like spineless ragdoll, I think. And like, I don't know if it was alcohol or alcohol and drugs or like, you know, the Real Housewives special of, you know, Xanax and Pinot Grigio or whatever it was. But she had to be taken home by some of the employees and all the employees saw it. And I don't know, apparently it was like a big issue and really embarrassing. And Sophia took some time off afterward. Um and that's how she met Peter Nelson's suit man on an app because her mom was like swiping on dating apps for her while she was taking a time out in U- Utah, allegedly. Don't know if that's true. That's just what I could find. Um, so perhaps the CEO and Dave recognized something in terms of how Alex was handling herself or, or what was really going on behind the scenes. I'm not totally sure. But one of the first things Alex discusses in the episode, which was so telling to me, about her character, uh, meaning Sophia's character, is that at one point she was, uh, she did a Snapchat of herself editing, like saying like she was working on the podcast. And Sophia said to her, like asked her to not do that anymore, like show footage of her doing editing because it makes Sophia look bad. But (laughs) she's not doing the work. So why, why would it matter? That to me is like, wow, 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 wow. It, I, I don't I didn't know anything personal about them before. But Alex almost brilliantly brought up an anecdote that wasn't de- too damning. It wasn't defaming. It wasn't anything extreme that would get her in any sort of meaningful trouble. But it was perhaps the most telling thing about a person's character that you could say subtly is that they are less concerned. It's like not only do they want to not give you the credit that is due for the work you're doing. And not 
only do they not care about the perception of even just equality about the work that's happening, even though it's unequal. No, it's not that. They care about looking bad because they're doing no work. And to do no work and then to bitch about looking bad because you do no work is is all I needed to know about her. You know what I mean? Somebody DM me that on the in the first episode. She Sophia said, like, I'm just here to write Alex's coattails. And it sounds like that that's exactly what was going on. And I actually completely understand why she didn't tell Sophia about the raise. A, compensation, even if you are in a partnership under an employment contract, is confidential. And B, sounds like Sophia just did not have the skills, the background, or the drive to put in the horsepower necessary to drive half of a brand that now had amassed an audience of millions and millions of people. And Alex stepped up to the plate, but it sounds like Sophia, A, couldn't from her baseline skill set, but B, didn't by actively choosing not to try or learn or put, put effort into the ways in which she was needed. And if you ask me, those are these small details that make so much more sense as to why Alex would be the one valuing the IP and the brand and Sophia wouldn't be because Alex cared about the brand. It sounds like Sophia cared about the fame and everything that came along with it. You know what I mean? But I, I don't doubt that she cared about the show, but you treat a, a house that you built very differently from one that you rent. If you are instrumental in building the foundation and being solely responsible for the growth of something that was a lot of painstaking work, and I know people can trivialize the you know building of a brand and podcast and social media channels all you want, but it's not nothing. It's a, so cluttered anymore out there, and it's very hard to find a distinct voice, to build a brand, to amass people around you, especially if you're unknown. And beyond that, if it weren't a thing and a real job that required skill, there wouldn't be a job that major brands, retailers, food and beverage, CPG manufacturers, they, they pay people six figures to oversee their social media strategy. Like it's a real job because it takes a lot of work. And it sounds like she didn't pull, Sophia didn't pull any weight editing. She didn't pull any weight aiding in social media beyond posting a meme now and again. And independent of Peter Nelson's involvement, it does kind of sound like from the beginning, Sophia wasn't as attached or invested in the the brand and the show itself. Um, she no doubt that she was a talented co-host, but the business that it requires in the background, it seems like she had no interest in. And it just makes sense. Like I, I can never make anybody love a baby I birthed as much as I do, even, even as much as I want them to. It's just it. Your entire lens is different when you're the creator. Anyway, a lot of those details weren't even in the YouTube video, but that kind of speaks to a lot of what I wanted to, to talk about. But basically, after Caller Daddy blew up, their original contract said they could renegotiate their salaries at the end of the year. So a lot of people being like, why, you know, they have a lot of nerve to try and renegotiate. I, my entire point of the episode was trying to refute that, being like, no, 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 no while this contract isn't that unusual for overall entertainment in terms of, uh, you know, an organization that's going to incubate talent wanting to have a cut of what you're worth going forward because they are the ones that gave you the runway. I get that. But my argument was when, you know, they talk about industry standard, I assume they were looking at their peers in the podcasting industry and seeing their earning potential was so much higher because it's a function of downloads and not a fixed salary. And, um, but I wouldn't have had to argue all that if we knew that their original contract just said they could renegotiate their salaries because then people wouldn't have been like, oh, my God, 500,000 wasn't enough. So um, this is when Peter Nelson comes in, a.k.a. Suitman. He 
is the one that gets into their head about industry standard, which I don't know to him what industry standard means. But honestly, he's not wrong if he was trying to tell them that they should be making more money. And he told them they were getting paid a lot less than they should be, which is true. And um, he I don't know, I guess like. I don't I don't really understand the timeline of this, but at one point, I assume in the past six months, Peter kind of orchestrates a team and like lawyers that draw up a term sheet that is sent to Barstool, which is what Dave Portnoy talked about in the first podcast. And kind of to what I said last week, like it's it's not unusual for your very first ent- point of entry and en- negotiation to be high and less favorable to the other side because you're going to whittle it down and you're going to have to go back and forth. And if you start it out too realistically, you're going to end up with less than you want. Um, But they went a little too high here under Peter Nelson and lawyer's direction. And that's when they asked for, you know, to own the IP, to become contractors, not employees. I don't know. They like offered them a cut of the merch. It like it had nothing favorable to Barstool whatsoever. And Dave was like, fuck off. That's never happening. And was like furious. So at this point, Alex is like going along with it. I mean, you're, if you're being told by somebody who's an executive in the media industry, you're being underpaid, you're being screwed over, what would you do? You'd probably listen and you'd probably at, at least cautiously follow their direction to a point because who wants to feel like they're getting the wool pulled over their eyes, you know? I think it's a very difficult situation and I that I know very much firsthand when you find yourself thrust into an industry that you nobody you personally know or trust has any experience in. And it's so impossible to feel like you're getting sound advice from people who inevitably are going to have an agenda based on their role in it all. And you just sometimes you really just don't know what to do. Like that's how I've felt with a lot of different things I've done, especially like like the launch of my book was botched. And like the entire time I was like, this doesn't seem normal. This doesn't seem normal. This seems wrong. And I had just had nobody to ask. And it turned out it wasn't normal and it was wrong. And I was right to speak up. But the whole time I was apologizing and saying, sorry, I'm being so annoying and this and that and the other. When really I had every right to call out a a very basic job not being fulfilled. And it's so easy to come from that angle of I'm just lucky to be here. You know, like every time I somebody, you know, takes me on for something, I'm like, I'm just so lucky to be here. But I'm I'm learning still, you, you almost have to like TED Talk power pose and just be like, I have something they want. I have something of value that in and of itself is leverage. And if I feel like something's off, if I f- want to do something else, I deserve to speak up and I don't have to run every single passing thought I have through a mouth mouthpiece that allegedly knows more than me, which is what Sophia started to do. But anyway, so they are kind of like going along with this, but they have a second negotiation and Dave invites them to the rooftop, which Alex said like was kind of shitty, which made me laugh. In my head, it was like a sprawling skyline view, lousy with outdoor furniture, Um likely from like restoration hardware, some sort of cheesy like fire and ice fire pit. If you're if you live in New York, I was picturing 235th, you know, the who's who of the summer Friday crowd that's too young and poor to go to the Hamptons, but like still wants to do something fun. And all the dudes that just like want to keep on their business suits and ties. So girls will ask them what they do for a living, assuming they work on Wall Street. It's so douchey. I'm I'm a brother Jimmy's gal. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Fiddlesticks. So. We know about the rooftop, and this is where Alex explains this, because now I'm forgetting, like, I didn't know any of this when I was podcasting, and I'm sorry I'm going through it in such detail, but all this kind of makes me have to revisit the beginning because it's filling in gaps, you know? 
we're on we're on this journey. Life is a road. In the end, I want to be standing at the beginning with you to quote a I was going to say underrated film, but I think it's adequately rated film Anastasia. <laughs> so it sounds like Alex was she went into the rooftop conversation willing to entertain the deal and was thrilled when he made them that offer saying they will cut the contract by six months and offer them 100 percent of the intellectual property. She didn't say she said that when they left, they clearly were on different pages and they it was the most awkward walk home of all time because also, I was kind of shocked they admitted to not social distancing because they went to somebody's house in the peak of when we weren't supposed to. But I guess relative to all else that's gone on, that's the least of our worries now. But still, um, she said that they since it was, you know, the peak of COVID-19, they had to walk home. It was the most awkward walk of her life. And they did not speak. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, because Sophia is too afraid to speak unless she asked her boyfriend first because she doesn't want to say anything that hasn't been run by him, which is so sad, so scary, and exactly, I don't know, it's it's, it's like a little sad and, and symptomatic of a obviously super controlling relationship where somebody loses their voice. And I feel really badly for Sophia, and I really hope people aren't attacking her because I, I just, I've, I don't know. Her situation isn't unusual, but there is a fine line when those types of dynamics are go from one person's the you know more dominant figure to one person is needlessly you know manipulative controlling jealous doing things not out of their love for you but out of their own ego i don't want to make assumptions i'm going off of what alex said which that he's very controlling and i think we all know the type of dude she's talking about when you especially when i was younger i would completely misunderstand jealousy to be how much somebody loved me when as an adult i realize they're not obsessed with me they're obsessed with themselves jealousy doesn't feed the heart it feeds the ego and um now I'm going back and forth between the podcast and the video, but the p- picture Alex painted of Peter in the podcast episode today, like she couldn't even go on a work trip to L.A. without him also scheduling one and then her being really distracted and spending time with him. And like, I just, I, you know, I just get it. I get that situation. I've seen friends in that situation. And it is just a really sad, unfortunate thing when you slowly watch somebody like lose all of their um power and the irony of all ironies of this being sw- you know flip the narrative call her daddy when she is calling no shots in her life it sounds like is just so wild to me and goes back to something that I'll focus on in a little bit which is Alex essentially admitting to them being like caricatures of themselves basically she calls this like i don't know period of time i forget what she called the period of time um that basically happened when Alex was like, oh my gosh, I want to take this deal. But Sophia was, they, she started nitpicking. Like they were at 15% for alcohol. Um, do they have like a wine or a liquor or something? I don't even know. And then she'd be like, no, we want 20%. Barca will give it to them. Then she'd ask for more. And she said it was exhausting. It was so much back and forth and it became all about money. Um, and that's what we didn't know last week is that Sophia was the driver behind that nitpicking that I was talking about being like, at a point in a negotiation, you have to concede. Like, you know, even if you're not going to pursue the contract, even just to salvage the relationship, even just to not be a monster that thinks the other party deserves nothing. Um, but the way she talked about it, it was so it became so clear to me that it wasn't actually about money for Sophia. It was about the fact that she was she and the team, uh, you know, her and lawyers and Peter Nelson were kind of actively trying, in my opinion, actively trying to sabotage the deal so that Barstool would be forced to back off so then Alex would have no choice but to go with Sophia and do the fathers with Wondery. That's not what was said, 
But I assume that was their motive, because if somebody spent time doing like a back of the napkin deal with another network and it looked more favorable, it was more money. They had gotten in your head about the value of your brand and how you're being screwed over. You know, the tactic then becomes if the person you need to make this venture happen is pushing back and not aligned with you, it maybe for them seemed easier to get Barstool to back off than to get Alex to buy in. And they had a two hour phone call and they decided they weren't on the same page. Alex wanted to stay um, and she realized that Sophia just didn't see the intellectual property, the IP the same way she did. And Alex, like, she totally got it. She was like, if we don't stay with Barstool, we don't get, you know, daddy gang. We don't get the name caller daddy. And she said all these things that are, like, signature of their show. Like, we don't get the Gluck Gluck 9000. We don't get little bitch boys. We don't get I'm unwell. And it just kind of made me laugh. And it made me realize how, like, my catchphrases are just so not cool. Because it'd be like me saying, we don't get F you new construction money. We don't get T's and P's. We don't get only good boys on the ground get crumbs. <laughs> and it's like, What? <laughs> The inside jokes of podcasts are so weird, and mine are like comically random and not even said frequently enough to be a thing. So when Alex, with the YouTube video, talked about how they perceive the IP differently, with the then having the context of Sophia not doing any of the work and also not wanting to like look bad if Alex said ever said she did more work, and also Sophia like outright saying publicly that like they both did editing when they didn't i don't know it all just like came together for me i'm like i got i get it now like of course she's not going to be as passionate about the ip because she's not the one who created the brand like and did all of the heavy lifting of course she's going to think that this business model is easily replicated because if you're not the one doing the work it looks easy (laughs) because you just coasted the first time you'll coast the next and she probably just assumed it was like Barstool, control C, over to Wondery, control V, and, you know, copy paste, we're done. We'll rename it the Fathers, and it'll have the exact same uh, success, influence, audience, and uh, advertising revenue, and we're good. And Alex, I don't know, I was relieved to hear her say that she was arguing for the brand. She understands the value of it. She understands the poten- like the earning potential behind it. And not only that, she cares about the listeners. For the love of God, that's what I was looking for the most. Like, I, I, I really kind of couldn't believe that they abandoned the show. And when the negotiations went awry, they decided to walk away and not record, not only losing the parent company hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars at a point, but also not showing up for a job they're contracted to do, they're employed to do, you know, like, I don't think any of us would have the balls to just straight up not show up for work when we're still collecting our salary because we don't agree with what's going on with the leadership. Does anyone ever agree what's, with what's going on with their company's leadership? I mean, there, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes at every single job and that we all have to weather, but we don't all have the luxury of you know, just ghosting when we don't get our way at reaping the benefits. And yeah, I don't know if I really talked about that that much the last episode, but I do think that is kind of a problem is, um, you know, when there's something going on behind the scenes that you have to sort out and your job is entertainment and your job is like your like persona and this like facade of providing a consistent product weekly, your job is also to execute on that without involving everybody else in the mess. It's not that you're not being transparent, but these negotiations happen all the time. Do you think this is the first tense negotiation in the media industry? Like, God, no. 
the, the, perhaps one of the most tense is is anything in the realm of hosting, as we know from the drama with Kelly and Michael Strahan, from everything that went on with uh, Matt Lauer and Ann Curry. Anybody else just th- like justice for Ann Curry? Like think it all day, every day. I hope she had, nothing's come out since then that makes her not favorable to us. But last I checked, I, she wasn't problematic. Um, but. I guess what I'm saying is not that I'm some like I'm not trying to make myself sound good or look good because I think this is what's normal and everyone would do. It's not fair to make the listeners and fans that make you valuable suffer the consequences for an internal problem you're having. It's your job to show up anyway, to execute anyway, and to have an element of persona or character, whatever you want to call it, that's able to separate and entertain because, yeah, that's something we're like. And I know Alex was heavily influenced by Sophia, but I still kind of can't get past. And um, they still, again, like they still were getting paid. It's not like anything that fundamentally changed, but like they were just pissed with how the negotiation was going and all of the cook daddy gang suffered. And I guess back to last week's point about there being, you know, perks and pitfalls of the, you know, nature of your agreement, whether you're private or you're employed, a perk of being employed is being salaried and being paid regardless of what's going on. But I don't know. And I'm not saying I'm not trying to make myself like sound good. But what I mean is it just wouldn't occur to me to not show up to work in terms of like when all of this went down, when there's like a pop culture scenario like that's interesting and layered. I know exactly when I should talk about it. Well, a, I have to have some sort of natural interest in it always or else it'll be forced. But B, uh, people reach out and DM me and I see it in the Facebook group and I see it everywhere. And I then I'll get to research and I'll try to synthesize it in a way that makes sense and aligns with the type of things I want to communicate on this podcast. To be fair, yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's also my job. Um, but like because of COVID-19, you know, last week, this week, most weeks anymore, ideally, if the, if there's an episode that's two hours or more, it should have three advertisers. And I'm in long-term contracts that the advertisers are slated for. But the companies that are suffering right now don't have product, whatever, obviously had to back out. And so, yeah, I'm getting paid a third of what I normally would be for these episodes, but I'm not putting in any less effort because it's just not right because that's not your problem. Like when I decided to stay long form and commit to it and blah, 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 I was like, okay, they'll be long, but we'll monetize them accordingly, palatably, three ads, be shorter, blah, blah. And we kind of had this whole plan slated. Obviously can't execute on any of that now. But my point is, I, this job is such a privilege in and of itself. You don't have to be here. If I was half-assing this, I would hope you wouldn't be here and you'd tell me because the only reason it's fair for me to monetize your ears and for you to listen to ads and for me to make money off of them is because I'm putting effort into maintaining your interest and engagement. And this job is such a privilege and I, I don't see it at, to be similar to other industries in a sense of anywhere else. Yes, you need to get paid. You shouldn't work for free. Um but this job specifically, it's already unpredictable. It's kind of an unusual position to be in. It requires a lot of effort. Sometimes it does go unpaid at like sweat equity, if you will, is kind of the way I see it. And I think if you're not willing to do that, it is a big problem. And it is like a huge slap in the face to your audience. And I don't know, it just kind of bothers me. I'm not saying that I'm that great. I think any most people in this industry feel that way, that you show up first and you make money second. Moving on. So... In walking through some of the video, I'm actually talking through a lot of what I was going to anyway. So then this is where, after Alex talks about the rooftop, her wanting it, Sophia doesn't want it. She's silent on the way home. They have a two-hour call, realize they're officially on totally different pages. Sophia does not see the value 
of the IP the way Alex does. Alex totally gets it and is in alignment with what I was saying last week about how really the color daddy brand is absolutely everything. And um, the monetization of it going forward is is endless. And even just paying attention to that and even if they couldn't negotiate their immediate cash flow, their salary for the next 18 months, writing it out for that IP alone will, will financially pay off if they're being offered to wholly own the IP. And like that, and it sounds like Alex on the phone, she, like Sophia was not getting it and just like not there. And that I can't even imagine how frustrating that would be to me. And Alex, like a true champ, scribes the shit out of that call. <laughs> she like took detailed word for word notes, then read them to us, which God bless. Um, and uh, it just like showed me how like seriously she took it. And she was very businessy about the whole thing. And then the big red flag too there was Sophia starts asking questions about like, well, if like, what if the deal is that at the end of the 18 months, we get the IP? Like if we get fired, do we get the IP? And Alex is kind of like, why are you asking that? And gets freaked out, sees it as a red flag. And it's just kind of an interesting point because that to me was like the first example of her getting an idea of, oh, wow, the idea is not at all to negotiate and to level and to compromise with Barstool. The idea is to find loophole after loophole after loophole to either find a way to get Barstool to remove themselves from the equation first, or then to strategize of how they could remove themselves from the Barstool equation if the first plan didn't work out, which is just like, it's just shady, you know, means to find a loophole. And I, all the while, when you're hearing the story, you're just like, oh, my God, Sophia is stuck, stuck, stuck because she is in love with a dude who allegedly knows more about the industry than she does, who is completely overpowering the situation. She doesn't feel like she's in a position to go up against him because she doesn't have the experience fundamentally. And it also sounds like she doesn't even have the common sense or business know how that Alex does to even intellectually have discourse about her options with Peter and Alex on the podcast said that it got to a point where Peter was texting her things that she would copy and paste and text to Alex or Alex would ask her a question about a business decision and she would have to ask Peter first. And he became her mouthpiece. There's a total loss of control on her behalf. And this is where I feel for her in a sense, because I don't always think when it's you're in it, you see it happening. But I think Alex kind of snapped out of it, realized she was involved with the wrong people. And like I had goosebumps listening to her talk about this on the episode of her just being like, I'm going to get my own people, my own contract, fight for myself. I'm going to go back to Dave. This is about me and my career. And this isn't about anybody else. This isn't about what my boyfriend wants. This is, you know, it's like, yes, yes. I was like, like just snapping left and right. I was like, thank you. I hope, I hope so many young women see that and learn from that. I don't know. It's just, it's wonderful and important that she came to her own decision and even though she was involved with the deceptive behavior for a long time and, you know, was complicit in a lot of the backstory, I think that what's so important and what kind of will give people resolve, even if you messed up, is just completely owning it, being completely transparent about it. Like, this is what happened. It wasn't wrong. I didn't know better. That doesn't mean it's excusable. It doesn't mean you should feel sorry for me. But the second I realized what was happening was wrong, I tried to fix it. And I can't fix what I did beforehand, but I can, instead of, you know, doing the the old housewife switcheroo where you backpedal, deny everything, and do everything in the name of saving face, 
she chose to share the story transparently. And I think she doesn't even know how many people are going to learn from the transparency and the importance of having examples of women who mess up and just cop to it. We're all going to mess up. And people in the public eye, like, there's no way I could talk this much and not mess up. And what, like, everyone has to do is just be a human. And, like, I think that that's the Alex Cooper we're all, like, obsessed with now because on Call Her Daddy, she was a caricature. She was a a a, a singular dimension of a woman in terms of, of, you know, super sexual woman that only tells sex stories, only thinks about sex, ties everything back to some, like, wild escapade that, like, I love having those conversations with girlfriends. I love when the night goes there. It's it, it's so entertaining, but it is just such a small fraction of anything I think about or talk about. And I'm always arguing for range and I'm always arguing for, you know, women being multifaceted and not being oversimplified in an industry that is so guilty of doing so. And their podcast is a prime example of putting women in boxes, making them kind of act as characters and watching the masses flock. Because part of the spectacle is that women aren't like that. That Women are so much more dynamic than just talking about that content. It doesn't mean that every single show has to represent a broad range of topics women can discuss. No, most podcasts niche down. But at a point when that persona doesn't mirror who you are pretty closely or you distance yourself from it a little bit, the insincerity starts to read. And what I gather from their fans is that toward the end of their episodes, it was not the same. And I think there was some distance being created, not only from Sophia not being like a, you know, flip the narrative, call her daddy, you take control because she's being controlled, but also from Alex in terms of there's a just a lot more substance to her. And when it wasn't this like fancy free best friendship of single gals out on the town having wild stories, and it was actually a pretty tense friendship where Sophia virtually disappeared. I'm sure Alex is like, this isn't fun anymore because it doesn't reflect my life. They when you're just a character, when you're just like this sex doll and when that's what works, the pressure amasses to keep delivering, to keep everything needs to be funny. I'm sure the editing got incredibly stressful. I'm sure that's why she kind of had a Freudian slip and said slip and said, um, I, you know, I edit the episodes. I write the episodes. I did it on her YouTube video Friday. And I still like I was so hung up on that. I was like, I wouldn't accidentally say I write my episodes like that's not a slip I would make by accident because I don't do that's just not any part of it. Like, yeah, I mean, you'll have an outline, but like most people don't write a script for their show. And I thought that was kind of interesting. But but with the context now of the episode she dropped today, I'm like, well, yeah, they had they got so big. And I'm sure there's an element of imposter syndrome there. Right. I I know I would feel that. And I still feel that when I have something I do something that gets a lot of traction. I'm like, I'm, I'm not a journalist. I'm nobody. Don't listen to me. Because I don't know, it's just scary. And um, you don't feel that important in your day to day life or, you know, it's it's a little bit of a weird thing where, yeah, you're putting yourself in front of a mic, but also you feel a tremendous amount of pressure to outdo yourself, even if you're the one raising your own bar. And I, I just I think that when you have a hit, everyone is always trying to reach the level of popularity that is equal to or greater than the hit. Some people milk a hit and saturate like the six month period where people were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop talking about this. Can you talk more about more mommy bloggers? 
that's not my brand. That's not my like through line of my career. That's something I'm interested in. And it was a type of deep dive I wanted to replicate with another topic. But you have to kind of be careful what you over associate yourself with, because that's what you then become known for. And then when you try to depart from it, people are disappointed. But I probably could have milked that popularity a hell of a lot more, but I was fearful that that would become too ingrained in my brand. And like, I just, that's a small fraction of things I care about. But obviously the astronomical success here was the way, you know, they talked about sex so openly and wildly. And yeah, I get the pressure to edit it down densely to this, these, you know, series of the bet, like every episode was like a best of real which most podcast episodes, it's like talking and they have their moments, but like, it's okay. People just like to listen to people talk. They don't need to be laughing every second. And I don't know. I, I felt a little, I felt for Alex on the podcast episode, the, the funeral episode. I, what I was hearing, not necessarily what she was saying, but what I was hearing is she's fearful of alienating the male audience who is only there for the super explicit, hypersexual, overly exaggerated sex talk that is just not completely reflective of the reality of her life and she's worried people won't necessarily be there for her and just want the extreme conversation and i was like no people are here for you people love you like this is what we want and even if you alienate some of the male audience like you know good riddance because you're you're really captivating a sector of the female audience that i think couldn't relate to that character because women are so multi-dimensional and like even if you talk about sex like that to your friends or think about it all the time or whatever, you're still doing so many other things that I think that was a little bit too narrow of a niche of a certain style of conversation that's entertaining to listen to. But I think at the end of the day, people love a more relatable character. They can see a bit more of themselves in and will embrace it wholeheartedly. It's totally fine to operate in character if that's what you want. And there will be an audience for that. But that has to kind of be where your like your heart has to be into it. In this job, this is so much talking and it's so much like it's 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 so much like vulnerability and putting your yourself and your thoughts out there. I think you you either have to be so wholly you or you have to be full on acting. And pe- but people know your acting is the difference. Putting on an act but saying it's the it's real. If you're like I'm just being real, but it's like no, you're you're like in character. It's it's never gonna it's not sustainable. It just isn't. How long was Sophia pretending she didn't have a serious boyfriend? Like I don't know. I'm not that talented of an actress, and there's just truly no way in hell I could get on this mic every week and talk for so long and fake an ounce of my being because then I wouldn't be able to like keep the story straight. It would be so it would be exhausting. I think at the end of the day, regardless of what happened, this. Their departure as friends, as co-hosts, it was inevitable because even if this crazy negotiation didn't happen, Alex, her, Alex's interest was dwindling in maintaining the over-the-top character. Sophia's life doesn't seem to align at all with like the nature of what Call Her Daddy is supposed to be about. And if she's always with her boyfriend and being controlled and like Alex made it sound like their friendship hasn't been good for a while and like she doesn't come out anymore. She only hangs out with Peter. She's you can't keep up a charade pretending like you're these girls out on the town living it up single life. Like, you know, if that's not what's happening. And um, I just think the show needed to mature and it needed to evolve as they did. And the mistake would have been not letting it. And the mistake would have been fabricating chemistry that isn't there. Because no matter what, it ends explosively. Like the Kelly and Michael Strahan of it all. Like apparently they never liked each other. It didn't end well, even though it went on for years and we had no idea. But now I look back on those years feeling entirely misled. Ooh, now this is juicy. I want to talk about 
her what she said about the contract getting leaked. This is the crazy shit I can't wrap my head around because I it would never occur to me if I wanted to like fulfill some side of my story publicly to be like, hey, Mr. New York Postman, write this up. It's just so it's it's so weird. And that's the part of the business I can't identify with. First, I do want to, uh, you know, love a cliffhanger. want to thank our sponsor, the only one this week. Oh, my God, I am so grateful for them. I always sit here trying to think of an artful segue. I choose your own adventure. I could go one of two ways here. I could talk about how I'm, you know, losing. It, it might appear I'm losing sleep because of this caller daddy situation, given how much I'm talking about it. But that's not the case because I have a Helix mattress. But then also, many people do tell me they fall asleep to my podcast, which I'm choosing to take as a compliment to the nature of of the tone of my voice, not the nature of the content. But regardless, clearly most of you are sleeping. And if you're not comfortable, might I give you another option that is extremely comfortable? <laughs> this is why they call us talent, guys. <laughs> Anyway, I actually legitimately not scripted here. I'm obsessed with the R Helix mattress. It is so comfortable. It's so high quality. I wish I understood the science behind what's inside of it. But like it looks like a normal, super high end mattress that would never fit in a box. And it's not just a like flimsy memory foam mattress. It's a substantive, really high end mattress that comes in a box and like inflates b- before your eyes because it's vacuum sealed. And I don't know, we're absolutely obsessed with it. Getting a free mattress is like, you know, that that's how you know you're an influencer, just like, you know, you're a celebrity when you apologize in the notes app. These are just rites of passage. And this was one of the first companies I worked with. And I just think actually makes an incredible product that approaches a, you know, very necessary industry, but also one that is just like confusing with all of their storefronts and all of their, you know, shysty pricing and this and that, that cuts out the middleman and approaches buying a mattress with a methodology that makes up for what I think a lot of people, what makes a lot of people hesitate to buy a mattress online, which is you don't sit on it first. You don't feel it first. But Helix has actually found a way to correct for that. But first, Helix Sleep makes personalized mattresses right here in America, shipped straight to your door with free no contact delivery, free returns and a hundred night sleep trial. And what's great and the way I found our mattress that we're obsessed with that I believe is called the Dusk, Helix has this proprietary quiz that takes like two minutes and it matches your body type and sleep preferences with the perfect mattress. So, you know, do you want it soft or firm? Do you sleep on your side, your back, your stomach? Do you tend to get hot? There's a specific mattress for that caters kind of to a unique combination of everybody's taste. I'm a stomach sleeper. I'm a hot sleeper. I prefer something that is more soft, even though I know it hurts my back and it's not great for me. My husband wanted something more firm. We met in the middle. It asks you about your partner's sleep habits, which is very smart. I don't know. We love it. And for those of you um, like social distancing at your parents' house for months on end unexpectedly, it might be a good idea to swap out the old, you know, mattress coil special from your from yesteryear. As much as I love a bouncy, springy mattress like the next guy, you know, sometimes those childhood beds uh, deserve a replacing if you're going to spend more time there. I don't know. You don't have to take my word for it, though. It was voted the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ, Wired Magazine and Apartment Therapy. And even better, if you go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five, H-E-L-I-X sleep dot com slash be there in five to take their two minute quiz and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10 year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk free. They'll pick it up for you if you don't want it. And best of all, right now, they're offering up to $200 off all mattress orders. That is up to $200 off at helixsleep.com slash be there in five. Spelled F-I-V-E, just like the show. Helixsleep.com slash be there in five for up to $200 off all mattress orders. And I don't know about you, but I feel like my husband and I are the, f- the, the couple in the, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory that like haven't 
we haven't like st- stood on our legs in years. We just we just like sit and hang out in bed waiting for our golden ticket for a shelter in place to be removed. And well, a little bit dark, at least we're comfortable, you know, <laughs> thanks to Helix. And now back to the episode. OK, so where was I? Oh, yeah, this was juicy about the New York Post article and their original contract or a, only a version of it. Actually, she said the final one didn't get leaked. A version of their contract got leaked to the New York Post. And that um, story kind of made this whole thing public and kind of opened the floodgates for what we now know to be this glorious sequence of events that, you know, while horrible for them, I'm grateful we got we got brought into it because um, I think it probably uh, in the back end ended up helping out Alex, who was trying to do the right thing, which is kind of the irony of leaking a story to fulfill your own narrative only to have it, you know, help out the good guy. Alex said only five people had the contract. Their initial contract for with Barst employ their employment contract with Barstool. So then those people were Alex, Sophia, Dave, president of Barstool, uh, their lawyers and or lawyer and um, Peter Nelson, the suit man, the HBO executive. And um, she basically was like, you know, I'll let you assume who did this, but five people had the contract and it made Barstool Sports look bad. I assume Peter Nelson knew that, well, I guess it kind of backfired, but people like me were like, holy crap, they really are getting the short end of the stick. They are being underpaid. And it would kind of validate the argument of industry standard, maybe make Barstool look bad, like they weren't you know, treating them fairly and also kind of justify them like walking away from the show or something. So I gather like the final negotiations start to pick up and like a lot of the drama goes down after the public becomes vaguely aware of what's going on. And this is kind of when Alex starts to snap out of it because Sophia involves more people who then once again redo the terms of the deal. That sounds like it's been redone and nitpicked at incessantly trying. Basically, it's the same contract, um, you know, that Dave offered with one million dollars each, at least contract ends six months early. They, you know, change merch and alcohol terms to be more favorable toward them. And they could own the IP at the end. And this is after a ton of back and forth. And then Sophia involves more people. And then they add to this contract a clause that reflects the weird thing Sophia said on the call and says um, it's the same exact same contract. But now it says they get to keep the IP either at the end of the deal or if they leave the company. Are you like, I oh. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Who on what planet? That this is what I mean by sabotage. I'm like, anybody in business knows that it's not, you don't reap the benefits if you bail. It's a reward and not a right. And that's where I was just like, Jesus, she was like, I, this is where, you know, Alex did say that Peter's controlling and said that all these men came in and wanted to get a piece of it and, you know, made it pretty clear what happened. And what happened was it, it doesn't really sound like it was Sophia at all. It was Sophia getting steamrolled and like, a bunch of people acting on her behalf that are used to working with typical media companies that can be negotiated with in this manner. You know, maybe Hardball would work at a Podcast One or at a iHeartRadio or I don't know, like at a bigger media conglomerate where in order to keep the talent present and like creative and to give them the ability to entertain, your people do negotiate on your behalf. Like that's not unusual to have your people negotiate. And I think a lot of places... It might not reflect on the talent because like people, they're, they're supposed to go to bat for you. Yeah, they make money off of you, but your team should be acting out of your own best interest. And I think this is another interesting um, juxtaposition of old versus new media where 
actually previously I was arguing that their salary-based structure was a more traditional format that should be more performance and downloads driven, like at a podcast network. But here I would argue that it's kind of the reverse because I think the way Barstool's run is, you know, obviously Dave Portnoy tells everyone everything. It's uh, comes from a place of, I gather, prioritizing transparency. It's a new media company that's more nimble than one that's just absolutely buried in bureaucratic nonsense. And it sounds like he has no interest in putting up with a lot of the bullshit that plagues the industry, but that, you know, holds people hostage and they have to operate within this more, you know, wheeling and dealing shysty shark like manner and hold things over people's heads and make the stakes so high to get people to operate and negotiate in the way in the against the outcome they want. And normally the new guy, the new media company, the, the smaller entity, the, the allegedly less powerful side doesn't have a ton of leverage and might not be taken seriously, but you can't not take Barstool seriously. Like what they've done is incredible. They have the audience and the valuation to prove it. It sounds like Erica's a really great CEO. And I think that they just, they, they didn't have enough to lose, to bend over. And I imagine this team was surprised. And like, I just, ugh, I could talk, I mean, the power moves that happen behind the scenes in terms of the, the, the strong arming and manipulating and you know, like at the end of the day, are they trying to get things to net in the client's favor? Yeah, like that is their job. And while, you know, Sophia's army um, probably thought they would be able to work this out in their favor and was, you know, making power moves left left and right, ultimately even calling it a favor to Scooter Braun, which I'll get to. The irony is the ultimate power move was being done behind the scenes because when Alex saw the terms of this next proposed version of the contract being, you know, negotiated on her behalf by these people, she, I think this is when she snapped out of it. And she was like, this is comical. Like, this is insane. Like, I even laughed out loud when she said that they wanted to be able to have the IP if they um, fire, quit, or stay. Like, this is... (laughs) It's so stupid. It's that would never ever happen. And that is what I mean when I say sabotage. And that's what Dave means when he says sabotage. Like on what planet they were trying to one of the oldest tricks in the book with contract negotiation is fatigue. But it's it sounds like this is when Alex is like, "Oh my god, they cannot present this to Dave. He will once again be like, "Go fuck yourselves. It it's done." I think she acknowledged that this is where it was getting pushed too far, which I just want to slow clap for her. Like I'm impressed by i'm glad she read it i'm glad she understood like this is the one change and how insane that ask was and then this is where she realizes she has to go argue for herself negotiate for herself and remove herself from what is what looks like something that she is contributing to and actively fighting for when really she's kind of been along for the ride because it was easier to appease her co-host than it would be to kind of break off prematurely but now i think this gave her the ammo to be like this is crazy And this is one of the things Sophia harped on in her video by saying, I found out Alex went behind my back and it was not the first time. First time being when she renegotiated her salary after the Christmas party incident. Second time being when I think she had had enough of the contract nitpicking and decided to go vouch for herself. I don't think it was that she wanted to leave Sophia out and be greedy. I just, I don't know. I think she had had it. I think Sophia didn't realize that she was committing several crimes in the meantime that Alex just wasn't, you know, convicting, if you will. Like, I think sometimes it's not totally fair for to be mad at somebody for something they don't know that they're doing. But when you've had enough, you've had enough. And I have a pretty long fuse, too. 
And I'll give somebody the benefit of the doubt until I can't anymore. And I flip a switch and it's never the same. I'll stick around. I'll lurk. I'll wait in the rafters. I'll take notes. You might not know I'm there, but I'm collecting data. So if this does get taken to where I think it's going to a place where I'm going to get fucked over, I'll have all the ammo in the world to prove my point to take you down and to never reverse my decision. I believe in responding more than I believe in reacting. And this is something that I've figured out with age. But I think the way Alex handled it was like a response as opposed to a reaction and a really well thought out one at that. So if I understand correctly, this is where Alex goes to Dave, says, I want to take the rooftop deal, but Sophie and I should not be 50-50. If if she's involved, I want 75-25. And I think this is where Sophia is like, you went behind my back and you don't want to be 50-50. And that's why she came on her grainy story, Sophia. Being like, I want to do call her daddy. I just, I don't want to be her employee. I want to be partners. You've always been partners. She's very obsessed with 50-50. But I think Alex not only at this point realizes Barstool is giving them the best case scenario, but also realizes like, fuck this. Like she doesn't do half the work and doesn't deserve half the work. And I am going to go after what's rightfully mine. I think that what was interesting to me is that she really, she really, not that she focused too much on Peter Nelson, but I do think that like, She's saying without saying that Peter Nelson is a huge problem here, right? Like, I think she's and she elaborates more in the episode. I mean, I assume you wouldn't sell merch that's hashtag canceling suit man otherwise. Uh, But like, this is why I don't know if we can blame Sophia that much. But then with Sophia changing her Instagram bio, I'm like, well, wait. So she knows what she's doing. She's all for this decision. She's maybe not being manipulated. I don't know. Like, or is she still being manipulated and standing by because she's not ready to separate yet? I don't know. It's confusing. I assume like Sophia is going to ha- get a podcast regardless of where it is. And I'll listen to the first episode at least. Can she anchor one? I don't know. Does she know what all the work that goes into it? I don't know. I, but what I think is that the Peter Nelson's like his level of, of control influence and the impact of him being inserted into this situation is 10 times worse than Alex is saying, because she's trying to take somewhat of the high road and not completely screw Sophia over and reveal details that are private to her about her relationship. But the anecdote she chose did not drag her, but I think told a lot of us what we needed to know and have seen happen before with friends of our own or ourselves. And it's, yeah, I'll get to that later. I keep saying I'll get to that later. And this is what I was talking about last week, guys. Like what it comes down to is, you know, you yeah, you you can pay for consultants and you can surround yourself with a team and teams are so important. There's a lot of ceilings in the industry that they're so essential for. And like, I don't fault lawyers and agents and managers like those people aren't evil. They're people that need to be acting out of your best interest. And I don't think they were acting out of Sophia's best interest. They were acting out of Peter's because Sophia had been steamrolled to only have the opinion of Peter Nelson. And she not really ever standing on her own ground and like trying to learn the business more and really figure out what she wants was just being puppeteered by a person who had more experience that then brought in more people who were doing their job, but really wasn't ever in the best interest of Sophia. It was a bunch of people that wanted to get a piece of what was incredibly valuable that was actually something that these women built themselves. And if it turns out that this isn't the case, I'll take it back. But when Alex says things like, she's everything was fine before Peter Nelson, you know? Like, it really seemed like he inserted himself and shit hit the fan and now Sophia is never going to refute anything he does or says. So quite literally, his decisions are being made on behalf of their show, which is not fair to Alex at all. It's not fair to either, but especially not Alex. I acknowledge the difficulty of knowing you're being controlled while it's happening. Uh, I, I just think that her lack of experience, perhaps an element of immaturity, 
And the lack of interest she had in really diving in and actually being a 50% stakeholder in terms of the sweat she puts into it, I just don't think she really had any knowledge of what it took, what she wanted, what it was going to require to rebuild it, any of that. And it in not knowing, you know, not being able to stand that ground, it just create, created this level of malleability that people are going to take advantage of. And unfortunately, it sounds like it was her own boyfriend, which obviously they're going to deny up and down. And obviously, you know, from a finance guy's perspective, he's just trying to make her the most money possible. But, you know, and I, this is where, again, I just I will never understand how somebody that is so high up at a company, how somebody that is very good at business doesn't understand that even though so many elements of a brand's identity and value are intangible and at times difficult to quantify, that that doesn't mean that the business model is easily replicated. That doesn't mean you should oversimplify something's success. I think it's so weird that people that are such experts in this industry would be the first to try to sabotage a negotiation where the outcome is that their opponent walks away with the intellectual property. At first they wanted it, but then I think when they realized they weren't going to get it, they were just trying to get out of the deal. But for them to just be prioritizing the leaving of Barstool and going in what I assume starting the fathers on Wondery is so odd to me because it probably would have been fine and successful, but it certainly wouldn't have been the same. And I mean, who knows? For for most of it, until the very end, Alex was on board with his team. Like, I'm sure she had a, a degree of influence in terms of what they were outlining as their needs or what they saw as being potential for the new show at Wondery. And when she maybe thought she wasn't didn't have options, like I'm sure she got on board with the fathers and uh, they had this vision. And then to Sophia's team, it looks like she bailed at the last minute and made them look bad, which there's probably an element of. But the way she explained it and the way Dave verified that this was how it happened was that she realized she was aligned with people that were out for themselves at a point and no longer were valuing her input and her input and Sophia's input with the consultation, but not control of the team is what matters because it is half Sophia's and half Alex's and they should be calling the shots. And when Alex was no longer like in having any sense of control over the situation of for people that were negotiating on her behalf is when she, I guess, snapped. You have to be a person that can say no, that can put their foot down and that can push back. Because at the end of the day, even if agents and managers are negotiating on your behalf, you still have the right of refusal. You you still call the shots. You still have actual agency over your decision making. Alex was talking about all the men coming for call her daddy that knew nothing about it. And this is what I was talking about earlier that I'm obsessed with is like them just not understanding what it was, what the brand meant and the value behind the brand identity itself, because they never even tried to because it was just about money. They, they It sounds like these people kind of swept in and convinced Sophia and Alex for a time that this was more of a commodity and not a living, breathing entity, community and business grown in a careful way that maintained the essence of why it is even able to be a commodity that has value. The essence of the show is the brand and is the girls. And it's it's foolish for any business person to think that you can remove those while abstract, still completely indispensable factors of what makes a brand valuable and have it still retain the same worth. And this is one of those things where me in my 20s probably would have gotten walked all over. But this is why I always say 
my I, I see the entire purpose of my doormat company as teaching me that I was never meant to be one because I got the education of a lifetime in every discipline ever. And be, more importantly, in having absolutely nobody to lean on to make decisions but myself. And I still deal daily with the discomfort of having to have full jurisdiction over my own life, career and destiny. And it's half the time I'm probably making the wrong one. But there's a tolerance you have to develop to trusting your instincts, to giving yourself, you know, the grace to make mistakes. We all make mistakes and it happens and you're going to make the wrong call sometimes. But what I realized is that they have to, if they're going to be mistakes that affect me, they have to be mine. They have to be my choices and they can't be somebody else's. So yeah, five, 10 years ago, I would have been easily walked all over. And that's why I don't want to be too harsh on Sophia because I don't, like, I just honestly think that this is a weird, this situation when it's hard to know better. And you just kind of trust the people you surround yourself with. And I think that five, 10 years ago, I would have 100% been walked all over. And it's easy for me to say, but now I'd be like, okay, wait, something was being commoditized and exploited just for its cash value. I don't know, that would be something I'd go up against because that wouldn't be like a matter of my opinion, that there is immense value in brand identity. That is common sense. That is if you're get you're getting the same product if you're getting a Kirkland signature sweatshirt or one made by Supreme. The difference isn't the quality. The difference isn't the ownership. The difference isn't the manufacturer. The difference is the abstract mental identity people associate with the brand that therefore translates into how they perceive its value and the visual aspects of the brand identity that they tie into that value. And it's so odd to me that the like, I think a lot of times, like, I've gone up against my fair share of, like, finance and ops dudes in my day. Something that people write off as being unimportant and something that is associated with being, like, an easier business major and that a bunch of girls work in and that, you know, is seen as just, like, a frivolous waste of budget and an easy job and blah, 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 which is marketing. In my experience, sometimes people in interior support functions that are more formulaic are quick to dismiss marketing, but what they don't realize is that the lack of formula isn't what makes it easy. The lack of formula is what makes it incredibly difficult. It is one of the only functions where outcomes are virtually unpredictable. And there's so much art and so much science applied that it is actually quite difficult to tease out the best way to approach and deliver a message that makes your customers act in a way you want to, that communicates your brand successfully, that creates something that is bigger than the product, is bigger than the function. So many disciplines in the business world focus on a brand or a product for what it is. Most business functions are focusing on how something works and the pragmatic usage you know, people find for it in the real world. Marketers are tasked with creating, implementing, and executing what the product means to people in the real world. And any, any, what anybody would do is, you know, when you're trying to see the lift that that brand identity is giving you in terms of value, you look at just like realtors would look at comps. I would look at other podcasts, you know, in the industry and like they're an outlier. Their growth is unreal. Like they, they like I told you, it's an element of lore in the podcasting world. Like they just absolutely soared with zero experience. And the way I look at it, it's like, yeah, they could create a podcast somewhere else and replicate the business model and hope for the best. 
But a lot of people do that all the time. But sometimes these things are unpredictable. Ask Rebecca Black. <laughs> Ask Mason Ramsey. For some reason, something random or unknown will take off. And it's some alchemy of the right place, the right time, the right audience, the right network, the right women. Like that is a little bit hard to tease out what the main driver of the success was. And part of what makes Call Her Daddy so valuable as a brand is because what they did is impossible to do. That that brand recognition is so valuable and the equity associated with it is so valuable because if if people could make everything go viral they would the nature of it is that you can't control it and you don't exactly know the je ne sais quoi if you will of the thing that's going to make it soar and that there was that thing with call her daddy and if it happened once can it happen again sure it's kind of like what i said with the mats like i knew if i did it once i could do it again but it's not always in the way you think it's going to be and it's not always what it looks like and it's never as easy as you think it's going to be to replicate the the magic of something that it you know just took off, I see the same thing with like sequels or with spinoffs. You know, like Joey was a spinoff from Friends, one of the most successful sitcoms of all time. Whereas you know, uh, Breaking Bad was one of the greatest scripted shows and kind of paved the way for higher quality scripted television on cable networks. And it was an outstanding show. And Better Call Saul is an outstanding show. It's a prequel, but you get what I mean. Just because the same people are involved doesn't mean the, the quality or the outcome is guaranteed. I often think of Paul Feig. He did Bridesmaids. He did Heavyweights. He did Knocked Up. You must work with Judd, Judd Apatow a lot. He, he has a lot of like iconic movies, that thing you do. But he also has um, Bad Teacher. And he also has The Heat with Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock. He also has the worst live read of the movie that followed us everywhere we went in late 2019 that nobody saw last Christmas with Amelia Clark. And he also has a simple favor, which I love and I think is underrated. But anyway, you get, you, you get what I mean. Okay, so I kind of talked through the video, but I was also peppering in what Alex said in the podcast episode that was relevant. I'm trying to think if there's anything that was that, I mean, if you listen to the episode, I'm not going to recap the whole thing, but the let me look at my notes to see what I thought stood out, make sure I covered it. Basically, where we left off was Alex went to Dave, wanted to do the deal, but I think said she wanted it to be 75-25 because Sophia wasn't going to, you know, she just wasn't pulling her weight and obviously some damage had been done. This gets back to Sophia, who needs it to be 50-50, who won't do it otherwise, and who says she wants to do Call Her Daddy, but is now blaming Alex's desire for 75 to be the reason why she wasn't, didn't want to do it. But she had already turned down the 50-50 offer. And that's why this is like, what? And that's why I think where Dave is really confused. That's where Alex calls bullshit. And um, she said on the podcast, to move into that now, that the things Sophia said about her the last time they spoke were like unconscionable. Like things you just like wouldn't say about a friend. And I'm so curious what the what the terms of that conversation were. But actually, we I should go over Dave's context before Alex's episode because it covers the terms of the deal. So what I gather happened is while this was kind of all, you know, being released to the media and happening in the past couple of weeks, when Alex went back to Dave and said she wants to do the podcast solo, ultimately what was decided on is that Alex will do it herself. Sophia's out of the equation and the original rooftop deal still stands. Six months cut off the contract. A million in guaranteed salary, 
and ownership of the IP. But before, Alex and Sophia were going to jointly own the intellectual property of Call Her Daddy 50-50, an already complicated situation when you have joint ownership of something and that we now know would have blown up in their face. Now, instead of the, the deal was never Alex owns 100 percent. The deal was Alex owns 50. Sophia owns 50. When she came back, she wanted to do the podcast, but said it needed to be 75 because of the disproportionate amount of work she was doing. And obviously, after Sophia showed her true colors, I think when they referred to the original rooftop deal, my understanding was that Barstool took Sophia's 50 percent. They've literally said it's 50 50. A lot of people were were when he said the, you know, the, the original deal thinking that that means Alex is 75 and Barstool is 25 and that maybe he was misspeaking when he said 50-50, he meant an overarching partnership. And that, you know, really what happened here is that Barstool ultimately is winning because the original rooftop deal was to give away all of Call Her Daddy. Where they netted out is that Alex has the same deal, but Barstool also gets to keep part of Call Her Daddy. And they said that even if she leaves after a year, after the contract runs out, they would still be able to support her with their resources. They would take a cut of it. They would still be working together because they have a partnership underneath this name. And like that happens, like people start businesses together and stuff and they ultimately license it out and you can figure it out. But previously they didn't want to be associated with Barstool at all and wanted to like take it or leave it. Alex coming back and actually understanding more of the situation, mending the relationship with Barstool, understanding the resources and the benefits to staying with them, at least to write out her contract I think made it more realistic for them to be involved in a more partnership style where they both have ownership stake. So therefore, they'll both dedicate resources that reflect that they want to you know, contribute to the success of the show. So I feel badly because I feel like I should be an authority. But for some reason, as of today, I, I am I am not totally clear on why. Some people think it's 75 Alex, 25 Barstool. When I wrote down word for word what Dave said on what I guess it's like their version of Sports Center. This is the first Barstool program I've watched. It was like them like kind of talk, like scream talking at each other. But yeah, Dave said Alex is partners with Barstool. She has creative control. It's the deal they offered on the rooftop, but they came in and took Sophia's half of the intellectual property. So if she leaves after a year, she can't take it, but they can support her and share revenue in terms of what is ultimately done with it. So I, I honestly like that's just a really complicated joint ownership situation that we'll see how it nets out. But the what Alex was kind of making it sound like is that now she's more of a part of like the Barstool team and sees a future there. And I don't know. Here's the thing, guys. I What I verbatim just said to you about Dave saying it's 50-50. Like, I just I don't know if there's another way to interpret that. And somebody... um dm me that he said i don't know there's so many goddamn barstool podcasts i don't know what he's on i'm having trouble really following all the coverage i'm not a journalist here once again i just um am providing commentary based on what i'm engaging from the situation and what i think is like there's so many sides to every story that are important to consider i think that sophia yes was trying to sabotage the deal to get barstool to back off I never want women to be called greedy for wanting more money. I think what Sophia wanted, yeah, it was the money, but I think she had a lot of people in her ear. Do I blame somebody for having people in their ear when you don't know anything about the industry? No. Um, I think that there's like a certain like confidence and 
maturity and uh you know there's there comes a point though where you you do kind of have to snap out of it and make your own decisions and if you haven't been involved in a mistake before where you don't do that you might not know that you're doing the wrong thing and i think for alex it was kind of a thing with her gut when she felt something just like really wasn't right especially when she started asking questions like well what happens if we get fired and like then seeming like she deliberately was going to sign the deal and then leave. And then they tried to write that into the contract. I think that's, you know, when she was like, I'm not going to get through to her. I can't get through to her. I don't think she felt like she had a choice, but to kind of go behind her back. And while that's not the nicest thing to do to a friend, I think that she kind of felt that the friendship was already in jeopardy and the damage had already been done when Sophia was unwilling to hear her out on her side of things. And when over the course of the past year, I suppose, so Sophia had really inserted her boyfriend um, to a place where their friendship just wasn't what it once was. And there was kind of a roadblock in their closeness and transparency with one another. The fact that she wouldn't even talk without copying, pasting what Peter said or asking his opinion first, not only is it scary and alarming and a huge red flag, it's also becomes a thing where the person on the receiving end of it you, you're not breaking up with a, your friend. You're breaking up with this version of them that exists right now that you don't want any part of. You know who they are. You love them for who they are. You hope that they get back to that point. But life has a lot of different chapters where different people get involved. And a lot of times we don't, we're not the best versions of ourselves because of other people. Like the, the toxic people very much take over your life and affect your relationships. And, um, I think in a normal circumstance, just like casually screwing over a friend and going behind their back is awful. Um, but I think in this circumstance, she was left without a choice. And my understanding is Alex did tell Sophia she was so she went behind her back to be like, Dave, I want the deal um, on the rooftop when they were about to send over the contract about, you know, them being able to take the IP, whether they quit or got fired or whatever. And I don't know if Alex was like forthcoming or clear with Sophia about her like signing officially on to Barstool. But didn't Dave say he like offered it to her and then didn't hear from her for four days or didn't hear from them? Oh, God, now I'm getting confused. Whatever. I don't think this is important at this point of the timeline exactly. But my argument, I guess, is that I don't think it was a matter. I think that Alex waiting as long as she did and putting up with as much as she did shows that she is a good friend and wanted to side with the friendship. I don't know. My read is kind of that she was pushed to her limit um, and, you know, snapped out of it and felt she couldn't get through to Sophia. So maybe it wasn't as transparent with her as she could have been. Sorry if you can hear me. When I talk, I use my hands and I hit my mic stand a lot and I hit the table when I talk. So I apologize. But yeah, I think Alex was kind of like, I'm not getting through to Sophia. This isn't my friend I'm talking to. If this is just about business, then let's make it about business. And if I'm not if you're not regarding my feelings on the matter, I won't regard yours, in which case I think I deserve 75 percent. I think I do more work and this is what I want and this is what I require to be able to work with you going forward. And I think that's fair. That's why Sophia was like, I'm not going to do it unless it's 50 50. But she didn't say that until Alex tried to take 75 percent. And for to me, this 75-25 thing is almost being used as a scapegoat for a job she was never going to take in the first place, but she's now saying it has to be 50-50. Does that make sense? And the reason I think that is because on Dave's episode of the Scream Talking Sports Center Barstool Edition, he said that, well, Sophia had contacted 
Um, Erica Nardini, the CEO of Barstool, twice in the past 48 hours. This was Monday. And um, saying that she wants to do Call Her Daddy, but she wants 50%. She hasn't talked to Dave in weeks because she wants it to be private. But Dave was kind of like, it's been private for over two months now. And you lost. Like he said, his words were, you acted like you, you tried to act like you had a straight flush and you lost. There's two, over two months of this being private and you lost that privilege. And then another guy asked him if she, I think it was Kevin, if she tucked her tail and said, you know, she wanted to come back, would you let her? And he like half answered, but didn't elaborate. And he said, kind of said like, if she wanted her own podcast, he'd consider, but then kind of stops talking about what he would do in that hypothetical situation and goes back to that he felt Sophia the whole time was trying to sabotage them. And he said, every move she does feels like they're gearing up for a lawsuit. Why would you ask for 50% when you know that's not happening? Um, so that's what made me be like, okay. So it's kind of this weird, windy um, thing with like power dynamics in a negotiation and who has leverage because when Sophia said no to the rooftop the first time, it gave Alex leverage because she was the only one that could continue the show. And she was the one being cooperative. She wanted 75%, even just based on the proportion of the work she does. Then Sophia was like, wait, no, I want to do Call Her Daddy too, especially as this got released to the media, but only at 50-50. But Alex and Dave are like, you literally two days ago, like you said no to 50-50, like what changed? And then when Dave said, everything feels like they're gearing up for a lawsuit, everything feels like it's a deliberate move to sabotage, that's what made me be like, oh, what changed was now they could use Alex wanting 75% as her looking greedy, as wanting to screw over her friend, and as a scapegoat for not being offered a fair deal when she was very much offered a fair deal that she declined and just she lost. So yeah, anyways, if I were like a Sophia stan, again, I'm not like a diehard listener, This is so I'm trying to be objective. Um, I'd kind of be like, well, wasn't it mean when Sophia changed her mind for Alex to be like, no, I want 75 or nothing? No, because I think that they both knew that she wasn't actually going to do the show and there wasn't an uh, alternative motive there because days before she just turned down 50-50. You know, it, it, it's, she was given so many chances to have a fair deal. And then the second the terms changed for her to be like to cry fair deal, like you're not giving me a fair shot, doesn't make any sense because she had forever to agree to it. And it's probably being used for something else. I don't know what that looks like or how it could be used in a lawsuit. But it just I think that they were smart enough to know at that point that her intentions were weren't pure. So then the part where this is kind of interesting and my again, my interpretation is that. When they didn't take the rooftop deal, they lost out. Alex came back soon enough, explained her side. Dave was willing to take her back for them to be willing to take on Sophia. The terms were 75, 25. But with Alex only and no Sophia, it does it changes the nature of the show. It changes the d- dynamic. It might change the value. Now they're back at negotiating against a show that still doesn't have a guaranteed outcome and guaranteed value. And they're kind of weirdly back to the place they were not 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 it's not close in turn. Like, obviously, it's incredibly valuable. But the problem of the initial negotiation is they didn't know it was going to happen. And they, they had no way of predicting how successful the show would be. And now it's a funny thing where they could have negotiated on the value of where the show is now, only assuming it will continue to grow. But now they've hit this reset where they actually are negotiating against, again, a show that they don't really know what the success is going to look like. 
I think it'll be fine and I think it'll be different. I'm excited to see what happens and I'll talk about that later. But um, so what I think happened is that Dave was like, okay, Alex, we'll do this deal. But now Dave has leverage because this is essentially a new show. It's just her as a co-host. She did mess up a decent amount, even though she came around. If Sophia's involved and it's the same show, sure, maybe 75, 25% makes sense. But that doesn't have anything to do with Barstool necessarily because Barstool was giving up entire ownership. Regardless of how Alex and Sophia split the intellectual property, the point was Barstool was giving it entirely to them. But as I said earlier, when Alex came back around, you know, her defaults, like she was never going to own 100% of the brand. It was 50 and then 75, but 75, 25 was when it was going to be the same show. It's no longer the same show. She did mess up a decent amount. Barstool does have leverage. So I think what he did was, okay, we'll do the deal, but we're doing the original rooftop deal that you said you would have taken, which is you having 50%. And what we'll do is we'll just swoop in and we'll take Sophia's 50%. And now we are partners. Before they were giving up everything and now they are very much partners. And I think what he was saying is that like Alex's side of the deal didn't change. She didn't give up half the IP. She never had full IP. I think at one point, if Sophia came back, she could have argued for 75 and that's what she wanted. But again, that was going to be between Sophia and Alex because that required Barstool giving up the IP entirely. If I missed an episode somewhere where he says it's 75-25, please tell me. And I'm so sorry. And I want to caveat here that that's a full possibility. But this is my current analysis based on what I was able to find out. Barstool, again, so many shows. Couldn't find them all. Hope this is right. In terms of Scooter Braun, so... I listened to Erica's podcast. I th- <laughs> I kind of felt bad. Like, you guys, I mean, if you th- want to know my opinions on Scooter Braun, listen to an episode I did in July that I think is like, it's called, I don't know, Taylor Swift, Scooter Braun and the Fight for Her Masters or something. I go through all of this. Um, but as I explained in the last episode, I think what people misunderstand about the Scooter Braun situation, it's not that he unfairly owns her music. He rightfully bought them for the price they were worth. But it's that Taylor Swift wanted to buy them and wasn't allowed to. And since he, she didn't take a shitty deal with her previous record label, out of spite, they sold it to a man she hates that has rights to her life's work now. We don't hate Scooter because he, he did something wrong transactionally. We hate Scooter because he, when, you know, this was all going down, when Taylor basically was like, Guys, my former, the, the you know, owner of my former label, instead of selling my life's work to me that I could afford, chose to sell it to a man that was instrumental in my takedown in 2016 that made me have to hide for a year that, you know, really harmed my mental health and well-being. And beyond that, retweet, like reposted an, on Instagram the day that it happened after Taylor was like, this is really hurtful. He reposted a comment somebody made that Scooter Braun now owns Taylor Swift showing how he saw the situation and improving his motive. And you know what I mean? Like he's not innocent in all of it. He knew what he was doing. Taylor Swift's issue was that she was never given an opportunity to own her intellectual property. Call her daddy was given the opportunity to own it and botched it. Um, Scooter Braun now kind of has this reputation of taking ownership and inserting himself in situations where he doesn't belong. And even though he had the right to buy something that was for sale, obviously the question of, you know, power dynamics and the intentions behind it and him saying things like he owns Taylor Swift goes into play. And beyond that, 
now he has control over her music and can block her from doing things and can kind of screw her over and then has started to by doing things like saying she can't use her old songs on the AMAs, by saying that she can't use any of her old songs in the Miss Americana documentary. And it's more bullshit power moves that are, you know, rooted in men having control over women's work. And that is why we hate Scooter Braun. And I think that that's something deeper here that we've always of like what we want to prevent of what we don't want to see happen when women work hard to achieve, you know, unparalleled success is having a bunch of men come for their share. And that's what Alex was talking about and getting mad about and what I was getting goosebumps hearing about, because I was like, yes, I'm so glad that she sees what would have been a slippery slope of allegedly Peter Nelson was starting a podcast network, which like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you kidding? He's dating this woman that is like a co-host of one of the most popular female hosted podcasts. And he wants to start a network and he's trying to wheel and deal like behind Barstool's back and on Sophie and Alex's behalf. Well, because then I'm like, well, why would you go to Wondery then? Like, I'm very confused by the whole thing. But that was kind of to me like that's a big detail that really matters in terms of his investment like obviously then he's not going to be doing anything in their best interest and obviously they were never going to comply with anything bar school stool is going to do because the goal was to get out and i think alex saw what was about to happen if she she called peter a creeper like i don't know her words not mine i think she really never liked him and she was looking ahead and realizing she was going to ultimately be working for him with him or he will be inserted in some way for the rest of time and if, if you don't trust somebody at the beginning it i mean it you've no you there's not a chance in hell that is going to be a pleasant situation for you and i think they both did things that weren't things friends should do and depending on who you side with like i think like i said alex didn't have a choice and there's a difference between going behind somebody's back for petty stuff versus advocating for your own livelihood which anyone should do and with sophia there's nothing wrong with wanting to fight for the compensation you think you deserve but there is something wrong with deliberately nitpicking and sabotaging a negotiation so it works out in your favor in an effort to manipulate the other person who isn't complying in the way you hoped they would. And if I understand right from Alex and Dave, that is what they are hinting at. Back to Scooter Braun. Um, so, I okay, so Erica said Scooter reached out to her to be like, let me know if you need my help. This is my area of expertise. And that he loosely knows Peter Nelson, but they're not like best friends. So if Erica and Scooter already knew each other, I think Scooter assumed it was a private conversation and it wasn't necessarily like, I'm Scooter Braun, you're going to do what I say. But I don't know if Erica's just kind of like, Dave is backpedaled a lot on the Scooter thing. And Erica was just kind of like, he was calling me as like a colleague to be like, this is my area of expertise. Let me know how I can help. And apparently Scooter had bumped into Sophia and Peter like the night before. And he was just kind of calling to be like, Sophia wants back in. She wants 50 percent. Like, how can I help? Like, let's talk about this as a business. Let's talk about this as talent. And um, so Erica was making it sound like he was trying to help. I think Erica, upon telling Dave, it sounds like Dave is fairly impulsive business wise. And he obviously reacted immediately and publicly on Instagram. And then he apologized later from a private plane because. (sighs) um yeah so i'm sure i feel a little bit bad because i think erica was probably like oh god i definitely uh put a wrench in this friendship that i'm sure strategically isn't the worst idea to have it but 
Dave was like, we have a mutual friend who put us like from Miami that put us in touch. And that's basically what Scooter said. He's not friends with Peter. He bumped into them. Um, and then Dave, his defense of being like, fuck you, don't get involved, Scooter Braun. Like, who do you think you are? He was like, listen, anybody placing a call on their behalf is going to get run over. Like, th there's just no chance that she's going to come back and get 50 percent. And anybody, if whether it was you or another person, that was the reaction they were going to get upon inserting themselves in a situation they knew nothing about that was so far gone because she was given every chance in the world. So is it so incredibly like arrogant and annoying and like sounds like a scootery thing to do to call and be like, hey, this is my area of expertise. Obviously, if I call and I get involved, I'm going to move the needle. How can I help? You know, obviously, he thinks that he has that kind of power. And obviously, he pulls that kind of power move often. I would not be surprised whatsoever. People deliberately try to involve people that have pull that can hold something over somebody and that, you know, can manipulate people within their network to do things because that person in their network, it's so valuable to be on the good side of certain people within the industry, right? And maybe he thought Eric or Dave didn't want to be on his bad side or, you know, would do something he said or recommended because he has more experience in, in, in talent grooming. But, you know, obviously Barstool, again, being the type of company they are, they're going to do what they want. They did what they want. Dave backpedaled hugely on Scooter. I'm sure it's uncomfortable for Erica. Uh, the way Alex spoke about him in the episode, I think that... I don't know if she misunderstands it or if that speaks more to what it actually was that Erica and Dave aren't really saying, which is that he did try to insert himself way more. He was trying to take a cut of the business for himself. And he was being like, you know, there's an element of greed there, too. My understanding from Dave and Erica was not that Scooter was actually trying to make money off the deal, but was just trying to like wheel and deal and make a power move. And because he has a lot of influence and to negotiate on Peter and Sophia's behalf, because that they did. They, they don't I think they don't know what else to do. But again, it's like w you had every chance to take this deal. Why are you now having Scooter Braun call and <laughs> ask if she can? It's so strange. It's just it's just strange. And of course, he's the person to get involved with like a woman's business. And it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's a perfect storm. I'm trying to think of other things Alex said on the episode that are worth recapping. Um, basically, so now she's partners with Barstool. She's going to do the show. And her plan is to have listeners submit stories and have like the daddy gang on telling their wildest stories, their deepest stories, whatever it may be, and kind of serving as incremental co-host. She said, who knows, maybe somebody will become my co-host, which I, w I was like, well, wait, wait, is this like, okay, Ed McMahon, is this a search for talent? Or is, is this like, actually, you just want to have people on the show? I can see Dave being like, let's just, let's source somebody who's unknown. Like, it's, it's a lot cheaper, easier. And hey, props to people for wanting to groom organic new talent. But I think all, my fear is that People are going to have these like hugely exaggerated over the top stories. People are going to like drink a ton before they call in. But you know what I mean? I think that what people don't maybe realize about the this business is like storytelling and talking is a, is not as easy as it looks. And some people are better at it than others. And I don't know if the listeners experience level comfort on air comfort with somebody they look up to like Alex. I don't know. It doesn't always translate when listeners are brought into the mix. So I'm interested to see how it works. If I were her, I would more so test and learn and take like an iterative approach and not like promise that we're going to change the format, but rather play with the format and do more of what people like. But I think that this maybe and what kind of what I felt badly about, I almost worried that this option, like I think it's a good idea, but I also think she thinks she can't anchor it on her own and she most certainly can. But yeah, in her episode, she talked about wanting to show her more human side that the the last time her and Sophia spoke, it was awful. 
she's trying to kind of solicit um, listeners input in terms of like, do you want this to be like, you know, wild sex talk or are you cool with like me being myself? And I can tell she wants to be herself and I pray that people are being supportive of that. She also wants to know, like, do we do we like move on from this? Like I said earlier, or do I tell the full story? I'm praying she tells the full story. And um, I think that it was really important that she was focusing on the community of the daddy gang itself, because I think that's what got lost in all of this and who got screwed in all of this when they stopped doing the show. Um, She also said she's moving. Her and Sophia live together, that she's moving out because their lease is up soon anyway. And um, that they pretended to be poor. And this is what I don't really believe, because they wanted Barstool to think that like they thought that maybe if they complained about money that somebody at Barstool would be like, oh, my God, these poor girls are earning us so much money and they're underpaid. She said it's like, you know, she apologized. She said that wasn't the right thing to do, blah, 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 and kind of breezed past it. I think that like. It's more relatable and it's more of a shtick to be poor. They probably started out poor. Like I said, 70K isn't that much money in New York City. And who knows when they started to amass their their bonus and stuff and actually got substantial money. But I just think it was more of a function of them exaggerating about their life to be like relatable and to be, you know, like, I'm not like other girls. Like, well, I love tacos. Like, oh, I'm so poor. Like, oh, feel bad for me. Like their brand wasn't initially rooted in aspiration. Their brand was like, we're poor and we fuck a lot. (laughs) And I think that like it wouldn't have been as palatable to uh, have them all of a sudden be super rich because whenever, even though your fans want your success, when you start to get unrelatable success, it always backfires. It's never in your best interest to tell people how much money you're making, unless you do it in a pretty careful manner. Um, But what people don't want is you pretending like you don't have any. So it's kind of a tricky thing, but I don't necessarily know if I believe that. She also like, I don't know, it was cute hearing her. uh, Did I talk about this earlier? I'm forgetting like that. Her parents had been married for so long and, you know, that like her dad was in the NHL and how much she loves sports and wants to get more involved with Barstool. Like, I just loved getting to know her. What I was interested in specifically was she was answering questions she was seeing frequently. One being was Peter Nelson and Sophia's relationship toxic. And she said it was controlling and that Sophia, like at first had maybe hinted that that was what was going on. And it kind of became a case where Sophia was isolating herself based on only being able to make decisions that she runs by somebody else. Um, They went to L.A., like I said earlier, and they were on a bunch of shows and Alex was super excited and it could have just been like this like fun weekend. Peter, like, I don't know, it sounded kind of threatening in terms of like he a, he made a trip to L.A. that he wasn't didn't have scheduled before, which is weird and like just shows he doesn't trust her, said something threatening, like, you know, she would regret it if she didn't spend time with him. Sophia like sneaks away and goes to hang out with him and, you know, would go MIA during business meetings would. Was just like she wasn't all there, like she was being controlled and her overall like take on on suit man is that he's fucking weird. Like, she 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 mentioned that he'd, like, walk into business meetings and be like, you know, call her daddy. I'm dating Sophia Franklin. Almost, like, liked telling people that the person she was talking about having sex with was him. And him starting a podcast network, saying things like, I'm dating Sophia Franklin, like, first, last name. You know what I mean? Like, make kind of, like, almost fetishizing the character of her as well, of not trusting her enough to go on a business trip alone, of saying you'll regret not hanging out with me, of being that controlling 
of her no longer speaking, you know, without texting him first and then copying copying and pasting his texts, her being silent on the way home from the rooftop, probably being too scared to speak before talking to him. Like, we all know what this is pointing to. And we all know people or have been in this type of relationship. And we all know what's going on. And I think that we all can recognize that it's hard to know when it's going on, when it's happening. And we can't blame women for, you know, succumbing to manipulative tactics that the nature of them is that they're convincing and it's a slippery slope and you can get yourself caught in a situation that your gut is kind of telling you isn't right but your feelings override it you know like the you wanting it to be something else your denial overrides it like they're they're the sweet talking and like some of the perks that come come along with some manipulative people at times seem to outweigh the costs and I, I feel for her and I don't want to project that she's in some wildly controlling situation that she's not. I don't want to fabricate any of that. Based on what Alex said, it allegedly just sounds like an incredibly toxic, controlling relationship that I find concerning that I think is an important thing to discuss. Because, like I said last week, my entire lesson from this, what I want everyone to take from this is the importance of having a line you personally draw where you know, you're willing to be amenable to other people's needs. You're willing to be flexible because you're a team player. But where do you draw the line in terms of somebody else's behavior, not aligning with your values, not aligning with your integrity? And at what point do you have to acknowledge that somebody who's potentially in your life temporarily, even if it's at the cost of hurting their feelings, where your future, your independence, your financial independence, your career, you are the one that matters. And the only difference between Alex and Sophia is one put in the work and the other didn't. And one made decisions for themselves and the other didn't. And I think that at the end of the day, that's the lesson. You to take pride in what you do, you need to have serious stake and involvement and investment in it. And you need to put an effort and you need to be a team member. You need, if you're going to have a partnership you have to actually put in the effort of a true partner um and then in doing that you will probably have the investment and you will probably care more and you will probably meet them in the middle in terms of your commitment to it succeeding because a partnership can't exist without an equal commitment to the broader goal and it's i don't know it, it was never going to work out. It was going to end or it blow up in some format because they already built this on sand. And um, I just saw Sophia changed her profile on Instagram. It says, Sophia Franklin Media, basic, greedy, lazy, submissive, weak minded, unable to think for myself. And that's just a little about me shooting star. <laughs> Clearly, she knows what people are saying. That's pretty cre- like it's pretty clever to do, given that. Um, she will be uh, go- eventually she's going to speak out in some format and she's going to be able to use this entire argument to, you know, explain why she's in the right. She'll I'm sure she'll bring up and dig up anything and everything about Barstool and Alex and, you know, who knows? Of course, you're going to defend yourself tooth and nail. Like, of course, if people like me are suggesting that you're being controlled and manipulated and that's not the case at all and I'm completely off base, you need to tell your side of the story. That's the thing about providing commentary, though. I can only comment on what's been said. And last week, I only commented on what's been said and made assumptions. Now this week, I'm saying, never mind. Alex is great. She got it. 
it sounds like Sophia was the one that's controlling, but we've only heard Alex's side. And now I'll have to probably adjust if ever she speaks out, not saying I'll do another two hour podcast, but I'm willing to hear both sides and I'm willing to say I was wrong. I guess I just find there's a level of familiarity with Sophia's situation that I've just seen happen before. And one thing I'm not totally clear on that I think is probably important if you're a member of the daddy gang is Alex brought up something about Kesha as it relates to the Me Too movement. And I assume they alluded to something with Kesha because obviously Kesha had a very public suit against Dr. Luke and was act like sexually assaulted by a man that she was contractually bound to work with, which is so fucked up beyond measure. And like she's and the, the judge didn't even rule in her favor. I think she's still appealing it. Taylor Swift donated to pay her legal fees. Like Im- imagine being stuck working for, you know, being kind of under a gag order by like be- not being able to make music and being, you know, stuck under the thumb of a man who abused you. Like, I mean, it's it's, it's un, like I can't I, I I would fight for anybody who was in that circumstance. And I pray that I'm not totally misunderstanding something and that Alex isn't overlooking a major, major issue that happened at the company that they hinted at. But now she's backing off on that. Sophia's going to bring to light and that's going to completely change this entire lens. Because if something happened to Sophia, if something like, you know, if if there's a very good reason for her to want to leave Barstool, I support that wholeheartedly. And, you know, that they would have ultimately had to separate their interests anyway. And um, I mean, I just think that this what I what what I thought maybe could be tied up with a bow is actually probably just going to get messier. And I think they know that. Uh, so, yeah, but we'll see. I think to me, too, like what I always think about as it relates to this or my perception of Sophia's situation is something that Ron Swanson talk about. Oh, my God, he's snoring. <laughs> but it's better than barking. I'm very sorry. Uh, Ron Swanson and Parks and Rec on in the first season as it related to somebody Leslie was dating that was played by Justin Thoreau. He talked about the concept of um, tourists in your life and how you should value the people that come and go and what they want out of you. And I think that we're only human and we care what people think and we want to make our loved ones happy. And it's often impossible to separate the opinions of those around us from what our truth is, because it gets it's the, the noise the noise catches up with you and it becomes hard to separate from what you truly want versus what other people want out of you. But I think that at the end of the day, you have to bucket people in your life into two categories. As weird as this sounds, there are residents and there are tourists and you cannot let tourists in your life, people that are present for a short period of time, be making any life altering decisions for you that dictate anything about you, your health, your family, your career, your future. Tourists can come along for the ride and they can support your decisions, but they don't deserve to steer and they don't deserve full control over your fate. And I think that this is a thing that it's very easy to fall into. And I feel very strongly about women being cognizant of it while it's happening. And it's almost impossible as a friend to call it out because they're it's hard to detect it first and it seems like everything's great because that's the impression they're giving you but then once they're in too deep it's it's very hard to get them to see what you see but as women getting into relationships i think we need to be mindful of these red flags i don't blame that it's a slippery slope and i don't blame people that get in this situation but i think we can learn from other women's situation and i think we can do everything in our power preventatively to not be you know taken and swept away 
by people who are, you know, manipulative, suggesting they know better, who have control over you, who don't let you live your own life, who don't trust you, and who want to take full control over the only thing you have that kind of enables you to leave when you need to, which is financial independence. It's it's a weird metaphor, but I am so emotional and I'm a highly sensitive person that I might the only ability I have to compartmentalize is to like is to think of things metaphorically. It scares me when women work hard and build something and a man takes credit for it. A man gets a bulk share of it or a man is driving the decisions behind it and making the woman feel powerless. Because even though Peter Nelson could take credit for getting Sophia a better deal, for doing some work behind the scenes to shop around her show, even though he put in, you know, whatever amount of minimal effort, he's probably hugely overstating because that's what men do. Um, she's the one who got herself there. She's the one that drove half the value. And maybe she didn't put in all of the work behind the scenes, but she is half the talent and their chemistry is what made the show. And she, even though she doesn't have industry experience, deserved a much bigger stake in the decision making and i'm not trying to project on her that she's some you know listless woman who has no backbone maybe she does push back maybe this is what she wants but alex did make it sound like from the two the youtube video and the episode that he is the problem and that's what's upsetting and i think we all have had friends friendships like this where you know you insert the wrong guy into the equation the friendship's basically over whether it dwindles or blows up in your face but in this instance it just happens to be the friendship's attached to a huge business venture major you know source of value a lot of people are going to come for and something that means a lot to a lot more people than just the two of them that needed to be taken into consideration and i just you know want everybody to know like you're not a teardown you're not somebody's project you're not something somebody should capitalize off of that somebody should come through town and want to fundamentally change the infrastructure of who you are for their own personal gain people should enjoy you for what you are for who you are and appreciate that what makes you you and i know we all know this and i'm you know it's very like thanks captain obvious people should respect us <laughs> commentary but um and it's not you know that's not that simple and i guess what's tricky about friends getting in these situations is there's not there's just sometimes not a lot you can do as long as somebody's safety isn't compromised my god if if somebody's being physically or verbally abused like it is important to intervene but there's a difference between that and a general unhealthy relationship and you can do it you know you can try but it's sometimes there really doesn't seem to be a lot you can do and certain dynamics between people you know where friends date people that you don't think are great they're in love with them and maybe you can't see it or see a different side of them it, it's obviously you become more like the people you surround yourself with and people lose themselves in these relationships it's this is nothing new and i that you know we, as friends we can't always do something about it but when it gets you know when it's too far gone is again as long as they're not being hurt um I think what we can do is, as women is is pay attention to these stories, look out for these red flags and nip it in the bud. That the slippery slope of control and manipulation is being semi-aware it's happening, being too invested and intrigued and wanting the relationship to move forward because I'm sure it does serve you in another way, but that you kind of look the other direction. And then you get to a point where you've created a relationship dynamic that is irreversible. The way you start, I think, is the way you finish. And 
obviously that's an oversimplification and things can change, but I, and I don't mean like, obviously people can part ways and whatever, but people can part ways respectfully or people can part ways resentfully. I don't know. I'll, I need to get back on topic, but like, and I never mean to like preach your soapbox. It's just kind of like, especially with these topics, I, I just, it's like, I, I, I think that sometimes when there's something about a situation that is like a little not right, but you're kind of actively ignoring it. It's easy to isolate yourself from people because you don't want to hear something you don't want to hear. And the problem is when you're with a partner who doesn't have that fundamental respect and value for your opinion and your input, independent of your industry experience, independent of any variable that should influence how they treat you, because respect isn't conditional. When you don't have that, sometimes it makes you isolate yourself from people. When you isolate yourself from people, you're only hearing the opinion of the person that might not be the most respectful towards you. And slowly over time, that will become your opinion of yourself. And I just, you know, you know, you know how it goes, guys. I am. I know I am so bad with the tangents, but I honestly sit here sometimes and maybe I overthink it. But like I think about a version of myself when I was younger and like when I I don't know, like when I'm not doing well, I talk to people substantially less because you don't want to parse through all of your thoughts. And when people ask you what's new, it's painful to like tell them the lack of stuff going on in your life or you don't want to have to over explain yourself for a decision you're making they don't approve of or whatever it is. Sometimes the people that are in pain are silent, like suffering in silence. And half the time, if anytime I'm like on a mental health or like a relationship soapbox or whatever it is, I honestly sit here and I think about like, who are the people out there who are struggling? I'm the only person they're hearing from today. Like, I don't care if not everybody needs to hear it because somebody does. When I'm at low points, I get so lost in the media I consume. I, I want somebody else to do the talking. I want somebody else's situation to be analyzed. The last thing I want to do is look inward because sometimes that's just easier. And I totally get that. Um, I just am not coming from a place of my own preaching and like genuinely, I as emphatically as Ramona Singer want women to have their independence, to have their own financial security to have their own lives, their own hobbies, their own networks, to not wrap up their identity in, in somebody else. Because if somebody else has ownership of that, they can take it from you. And I don't want anybody ever feeling that lost. I don't want ever, anybody ever feeling like they don't have options. I don't want anybody ever feel, feeling like they can't leave and that relationships are not at will. And I don't want anybody to let a tourist in their life who tears it all down and redevelops it to what he wants it to be instead of valuing it for what it is and when he capitalizes off of it and profits off of it and leaves like you know these types of people inevitably do who operate out of their own personal gain when they leave town i don't want anybody left looking around not recognizing where they are not recognizing who they are on their own turf so please 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 demand insist on that mutual respect regardless of how much older the person is or how much more they seem to know than you or whatever it may be. And if you're not getting it back now at the onset of your relationship, you have a long life ahead of feeling slighted and undermined. And it's just the most important thing to have. And again, I don't know anything about Sophia's relationship, but what I do know is that it is terrifying that she wouldn't talk without texting him. And then she'd copy and paste what he said to her best friend. 
it is terrifying that they could not talk as friends and partners and just the two of them, the two people that are responsible for the work that it took to create what had such value that he wanted a piece of, that they could not talk on that walk home from that rooftop just as them and have an honest discussion about what they wanted and what was going on behind the scenes. That that sort of silencing is what scares me and is a red flag to me and what I just it is so hard to get out of, but you can stop yourself from getting into it if you can catch the red flags quickly. So please, please, please be mindful of, of control, of jealousy, of manipulation, of you know, imbalanced power dynamics and somebody pretending like they're smarter or no better than you. It, even if somebody is a, is a a subject matter expert in the media industry or whatever it may be, that is a point of contention. You have to remember in business in relationships and friendships, you are the only subject matter expert on your own life and you will make mistakes and you will screw up. And who cares if somebody says told you so? Honestly, people who say things like told you so that are like delighting in your demise because they upon happenstance predicted a situation wouldn't work out in your favor when you were hoping for the best. That's not a friend. That's not a lover. That's not that's nobody who respects you whatsoever. I told you so is like one of my biggest pet peeves, but not important right now. We can gossip about it all we want. It's so interesting to talk about for so many reasons beyond my own, you know, like I am not trying to be a vulture for entertainment here and just like pick at the carcass of something. Rather, I just I, I think that stories like this are important because we can learn a lot from them. I think what's really amazing and inspiring, and I'm especially glad that so many what I assume young women especially are listening to is she put in all this work and effort and muscle into building a, a brand she was proud of that represented something important to her. And even though I have, I have, I could write a thesis <laughs> of all the ways in which I disagree with the delivery of the content in terms of if you want, need to know more, listen to the first part where I kind of explain that my issue, I love that they destigmatize. I hate the sexist language they choose to use under the guise of feminism because it's actually very favorable to men. And I think that's what people often don't realize. But that high horse aside, what I love about this story is the full circle element of her starting this and being passionate about this concept of, of women taking control, her involving somebody that certainly had value and that was a talent and, and that created something incredible together, but ultimately didn't embody the values that the brand is supposed to emulate. And then upon, you know, severing ties with a person who actually didn't care about the brand and whose lifestyle was actually quite off brand. It's kind of full circle leading her back to where she started, leading her back to the root of the show, the very definition of the name of the show that was always being spearheaded by her. And I love that, you know, regardless of who got involved in what happened, she was able to keep what was rightfully hers. And that's what we're always fighting you know, for for women to get full credit for their work, for artists to get full credit of their work, you know, call a podcast what you want. But it there's a lot of creativity that goes into it. And I don't know. I mean, like I just the past couple of days, like so much has gone on in the world. Maybe I'm just emotional. But when I was listening, I was like, I was I was almost moved because I I I hoped what people were hearing on the receiving end more ears than maybe they've ever had. I hope what they were hearing 
is this full circle moment I just described in terms of instead of thinking her value to the show, to the, to the enterprise was just being some character that talks about somebody getting in her pants. She pulled the ultimate daddy move by showing up as the person who wears them. And that's the whole point. You can be both. You can be hot and smart. You can be desirable and professional. You can talk about sex, but have incredible business savvy. These things are not related. To me, the show kind of always represented this voyeuristic element of that even that that was intrinsic to the name of being in the third person, of calling her daddy. It was listening to other women talk about this type of woman that I think we all like to be in theory, but so rarely are in practice. And at times, I even think they were young and growing through the podcast and trying to figure out their own stuff that they were often talking about a, an exaggeration of a woman that they weren't even in practice. The 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 power they wanted to gain in these relationships to me always read as these weird uh, mind games and strategies and means to emotionally deplete ourselves, to oversimplify ourselves, to pander our existence to men's preferences. And that's what always killed me because to me, to alter ourselves, to be less complicated is a true loss of power. Power isn't dominance in the bedroom or otherwise. The type of power we don't want to emulate are the exact types of things being exercised in this business deal, whether Scooter Braun sweeping in and thinking, you know, his pull, his power could make a difference with all of the people involved on Sophia's team that are all trying to exercise their power in their own weird way by almost detonating the thing a woman built so they can have a share of the property and rebuild it themselves in terms of what they want it to look like. That's the bullshit that we don't want to be doing to people. We don't want to play their game. We want to up their game. And to up their game, it's to exercise the true definition of power, which is the ability to make things happen. Power can be used for good and evil. We've seen examples of this since the beginning of time. And I think what Alex has done here, instead of trying to take power and control for power's sake, for monetary gain, for, you know, the wrong reasons that somebody could convince themselves are personally right, she took back power for what was ultimately the benefit of the most important thing that strangely was the most forgotten thing in all of this, which was the audience and was the fans that wanted this show to continue, that wanted at least one of the original hosts to maintain the integrity of. And I think that she made a decision not only in the best interest of herself and her career and her independence, but also she made one on behalf of the daddy gang, which was the most important thing. The show wouldn't be valuable without their fans. And in her reclaiming that control and her taking back the power of who ultimately has say and ownership of the show she built is exactly the definition of the show she originally started. And if I were her, I would drop call her daddy and I'd be like, call me daddy, because I am the one who built this. I am the one who saved this. And I am the one that is going to propel this to a place that far exceeds anybody's expectations because she's she's no longer working and talking and operating out of a place to solely meet other people's expectations. I think the thing that she built and cared a lot about turned into something different from the original vision that to maintain the success of, she was willing to carry on, but it had a limited life. The, you know, the jig was about to be up regardless. 
And this serving as a catalyst for her being able to reclaim and, you know, ultimately steer her show in the direction she wants it to go in that is more akin to her authentic self, I mean, is the ultimate power move. I don't talk about daddies ever. I don't even know if I fully understand what it means. But my impression of the way they talked about them is that most importantly, you call her daddy if she's doing things on her own terms. And if I were Alex, I'd be like, call me daddy, because I am doing this in my own way, on my own time, on my own terms, the way it should have been done in the first place. And I'm not going to let other people take credit for my success. And with that, I'll, I'll let you go. And don't laugh at me, but this <laughs> when this song came out in 2001 or something, I don't know, I was in like middle school. I don't know what I was doing. I didn't even listen to the lyrics. I was just like, cool. I love Deft Probst. And I listened to, you know, I watched Survivor Borneo and uh, Destiny's Child is doing an MTV's making the video. And they're like covered in ivy and crawling in mud with a, you know, camouflage bandana. Like, awesome. You know, I wasn't really paying attention. Um, but when I hear this song now, I am like overcome with the, the, the Holy Spirit. I, I, th this is them talking about their battle with the industry and, um, them surviving through getting rid of two members and bringing on Michelle Williams, which was the right call to make. And again, serves as an example of why we might look back on her, this co-host changing and it doesn't really matter as long as the owner creator is there and as long as the essence of the brand is maintained and that's what they did with destiny's child those women ended up being interchangeable but they survived they didn't give up they wouldn't stop they worked harder and that's what i hope for not just alex but for anybody who's struggling through anything and who's trying to make a name for themselves make something of their life fight for their own career fight for ownership of something fight for their independence getting out of a relationship whatever it is people can you'll, you're going to lose so many things in life whether it's you know friends relationships jobs trust there we're always dealing with how to navigate loss in some way and even though it seems like people can take so much from you you know be it money be it your confidence your identity whatever i kind of love how this song breaks it even down almost to your physiological um, attributes that can get you through anything. Thought I couldn't breathe without you. I'm inhaling. Thought I couldn't see without you. Perfect vision. Thought I wouldn't last without you, but I'm lasting. Thought that I would die without you, but I'm living. Thought that I would fail without you, but I'm on top. Thought it would be over by now, but it won't stop. Thought that I would self-destruct, but I'm still here. Even in my years to come, I'm still gonna be here. <sighs> Again, the word of the Lord. <laughs> Can you can am I losing all credibility when I quote early 2000s uh, pop stars to close out my episodes? Um, this is what I mean. My pop culture matters. This is why the media we consume matters. It doesn't have to be about the thing, but it's about what you take from it. I felt the same way after I watched Beyonce's Homecoming. I felt the same way after watching Miss Americana. I get riled up in the same way when I talk about Meghan Markle and her making a what is actually a quite brave decision in order to fight for what's better for her and her family and to push back against years and years of problematic leaking to the press and the manipulative nature of the royal rota who was essentially like on their royal you know family's payroll to be the exclusive press outlet that was talking shit about one of their own and their own family wasn't going up and standing up against her for even things like racism like are you kidding women who shared their stories about getting taken advantage of and the mistakes they made and the life they wished they had being open about that and teaching us the lessons enabled women in the public eye, like those three women I just mentioned, to 
not have to be the person that tells you all the things they did wrong in retrospect, rather recognizes in real time that they aren't powerless and can tell us a tale of how it came so close to losing everything, losing who they were, having to give up something in order for some trade-off because something was being held over their head. But no, they made the brave decision, the bold decision, and can tell us tales of how it pays off because it does and give us examples of why we should do the same. And that's why I think these pop culture stories are so important. And that's why I talk about these stories exhaustively. I have a two and a half hour recap of Miss Americana, which is longer than the documentary itself, because I I want to dismantle any and all bias that I still have. I'm working it out on air half the time of when women make bold decisions, when women do something we didn't expect, when women go, you know fight out of their own interest. We're so quick to call them selfish or greedy or controlling or manipulative. We're so quick to you know think Meghan Markle's listless and Harry's just at her beck and call. You ever think that maybe Harry doesn't want his own family to be victim to the very thing that killed his mother that is, again, still on the royal family's payroll that they still haven't really combated despite, you know, being very aware that they leak negative press about them constantly and they lie and they do breach privacy? Ugh, I can't get over it. No, we, we, we need to give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes. And I will give Sophia the benefit of the doubt once she talks more. Once I hear her side of it, I always, always, always am willing to do that for somebody because I think everyone thinks they're the good guy. And I think even if it's being clouded by somebody else's input, people do, do tend to think they're making the right decision um, in real time. But I just I don't know. I love talking about these stories because I want us to remember that when women are doing something different, that we is a story we don't usually hear. We need to support them all the more because it's critical to disrupt systems that don't work in our favor. And it's critical to shift perceptions of what disrupting that looks like, because it makes it easier for everybody going forward to make the right decision for themselves, to make the harder decision for themselves and to reclaim their power in a situation that based on, you know, precedence, they might deem themselves powerless. But if we can all be examples of people who control our own futures who have our own independence and to bring people in our lives who support us and respect us, yet we, at the end of the day, will stand on our own with or without them. I think that's the most important thing anybody, anybody could be doing in the public eye to encourage young women. And when you're young and you are, you know, highly impressionable, and sometimes the only things you have access to are these celebrities and pop culture figures, sometimes the only impression you have of the real world outside of your microcosm or your family's belief systems or your financial situation, whatever it is, sometimes your only lens into the world and into opportunity is by watching other people publicly. And I think that when, you know, as parents, as, as you know, aunts, as, as friends, as whoever, people are watching respond to these scenarios that's the messaging they're receiving in terms of if a woman behaves like this, this is how somebody should act and how I should respond to it, too. And I just I don't know. I think what we all want by the, by the time, you know, God willing, if I have kids, if I have daughters, by the time they're older, I, I want to live in a world where, you know, there's no wage gap between men and women, between white women and women of color. I hope we live in a world where there's been a female president. I hope women are a proportion of the you know, C-level executives that they are of the population, which is half. And all of that to say, I think there's something 
beautiful and powerful and exciting and fun about all of us coming together and hashing this out. We're all missing a lot of details that probably make us all pretty inaccurate, no matter the opinion. And even no matter the outcome of a disagreement, you know, whether you're Alex or Sophia, wherever you're coming from in terms of your plight in all of this. Again, the point of this song, too, is like, like, you'll be fine. (laughs) We live, we learn, we cop to our mistakes, we try to do better the next time. And sometimes there's no answer to who fundamentally is right or wrong in a scenario. And it's just going to have to be gray. And we have to be okay with things not always being that simple. But at the end of the day, no matter what happens to you, no matter if you make the mistake or you're allegedly on the right side of history, you deserve to evolve and you deserve redemption if you put in the right effort and if you take accountability for anything you've done wrong. And I think that the important thing is remembering to you'll survive, right? No matter what what it is, you're going to get through it. You'll survive. You'll be better off at the end. And hopefully one day you'll get to produce some sort of art that will give you the same satisfaction. I feel when Beyonce says, thought I couldn't sell without you, sold nine million. (laughs) Ultimately, I hope everyone is better off as a result. Interested to see if Sophia gets a show. I wish nothing but success to Alex. And I think most importantly, of all lessons learned and everybody who benefited, I'm happy that the Call Her Daddy fans, um, above all else, have their show. Because I think that's the important thing that kept getting lost amidst all of the complications, was that their show, it doesn't, it's not valuable without their listeners, and their listeners are what matter, and it needed to grow and mature, and although it would have been nicer if it wasn't as messy uh, you know, I, I think it was bound to be a divide that they couldn't avoid. So hopefully you guys are on the up and up and you can just enjoy the show again and that everybody's going to be better off as a result. So with that, I'll leave you to Destiny's Child. You know what I you you, you know at this point, the desperation hour. For, please share on your story if you like the show. If you're private, please send me a screenshot because I'm still very grateful um support helix patreon.com slash be there in five there's like i don't know 100 bonus episodes if for some reason you've gone through all my catalog if so god bless it's a lot of me talking (laughs) and uh i just you know appreciate all of you more than you know and as always let me know your thoughts and i will let you know mine i'll be there in five i swear (laughs) 